And often in film festivals, they'll tell you, like the ticket to buy at the film festival is the short comp uh, compilations, because that's where the really most exciting filmmaking is happening. What is a short film? What is a short film is a really good question because a short film can be anything. But I think what defines a short film obviously is the length. <laughs> it's a short film. And there's actually a few organizations that do have like a definite defined length of what, how long a short film should be. For example, like if you want to be uh, considered for an Academy Award, the Academy says a short film is, I believe the Academy's 40 minutes or less for, for narrative. Documentary sometimes has different lengths for um, their films. Quite often for film festivals, in the application, they'll say specifically how long the short film can be to qualify as a short film. Usually it's like 50 minutes or less. Although personally, I think if you're making like a 50 minute long short film, that's a too long of a short film. Short films should be short, in my opinion. Do you know what percentage actually sway past a half hour? I mean, isn't generally it's 15 minutes or under? Well, a lot of people, because they see short films that are longer, they think that's how long a short film should be. So they've seen student films that, you know, the university requires the film to be a certain length because it's a learning experience, right? So you want to do a longer film so you get the full experience of making something. You know, you're not making something on half a day and it's 30 seconds long or something like that. So when people are used to seeing these kind of longer short films, they think, oh, that's what makes a good short film a short film. Should be 20 minutes long or 30 minutes long or they worry people won't take them seriously if their film is not that long but truthfully because I've seen a ton of films on the festival circuit I feel like if you're beyond 12 minutes you're just too long and quite often for like uh, dramatic films 12 minutes is like a nice sweet spot like aim for 12 minutes or less I'm always a big fan of or less but if it's a comedy short or a short you expect to have be on the internet Nobody's gonna be watching a 12 minute short on the internet. You know, at the internet we have no attention and we wanna be short, 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 short. And comedies, you know, as with features, if you're too long, you outstay your welcome. You should be short, fast, and funny. Has it changed as, as different uh, social media platforms have given us more short content? Well, also when you say what defines a short film, you know, things that people are making for on social media are shorts, right? I wouldn't necessarily call them films per se, but they're short pieces of content. So, you know, like when TikTok, TikTok started, it was extremely short, teeny, teeny, teeny is what it was supposed to be. And there used to be a service called Vine and that was like six seconds long. Um, and that I would consider those shorts, not necessarily films, but short pieces of content. So it is amazing how much you can tell in a short, 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 short type period of time. But even TikTok realized they had to start giving people more time, you know, that it's really hard to do such, to actually do some kind of storytelling in a very, 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 like, you know, one minute or less time frame. Having said that, I've seen great short films that are a minute or less. What draws you to the short film genre? I'm kind of unique in the sense that I started out, the first thing I ever produced was a feature. And then I started producing short films. And people always say, don't you want to go back to features? And I love shorts. It's like features, features are hard. Short films are fun, fast, and easy to do. And that's where I think the most exciting storytelling is. And often in film festivals, they'll tell you, like the ticket to buy at the film festival is the short comp uh, compilations. Because that's where the really most exciting filmmaking is happening. Unique voices are happening, unique things that you can do with cameras and fun, you know, off the wall things all happen in short films first. Because we can, it's a format to experiment in, to take chances in, to do crazy things in. You don't have that same pressure of having to do like a 90 minute storyline with three acts and characters who have to develop and all the things that you know you have to make happen for a feature. With a short film, you can even take like a small, smallest idea 
and do it great and well and crazy and unexpected and surprising. And so that's what I love so much about short films. It's every year there are so many made and every year there are so many that are just amazing that you've never seen anything like that before. They're funny, they're surprising, they're touching, they're moving. And so many feature films, I'm sure everybody watching this has had that experience that you pay your money to go see in the theater and you feel very disappointed afterwards. You're like, it's the same old, same old, or oh, I was expecting it to be so much better, often because the trailer kind of sold you on how great it was gonna be because the trailer has shown you all the best moments. But the resulting feature is long and not great, where short films rarely disappoint. Has there been a, a resurgence in shorts or short filmmaking has never really gone away? Well, the thing about short filmmaking is, uh, you know, it's always been around, right? When Actually, when, when filmmaking started, it was short films. It was one-reelers, right? That those were the silent films that people could make and the birth of films was shorts. Um, and then they graduated to more and more reels that became a full-length feature. So short filmmaking has always, always, always been there. Um, and students make shorts all the time. So in that sense, it's always been there as well. But what has made it very uh, democratic, what has made it easy and accessible and universal to everybody is now that, you know, we have something in our pockets that are cameras that we can shoot films on. And that has never been the case before. So every single person practically has the ability to shoot something. And that's a miracle. Now, whether you're actually a storyteller, <laughs> that's something completely different. But you actually can put your camera up, film something, put a title on it, put it out on YouTube, put it out on social media, and you've made a short film. So in that sense, there's more short films being made than ever. And um, we often use the statistics from the Sundance Film Festival because they're very uh, out with, you know, public with their numbers. And every year they say this many short films have been submitted to the Sundance Film Festival. And it has grown exponentially. When I was making short films, very small amount because people were still shooting on film. And then it became, you know, we could shoot digitally and now we can shoot on so many different formats. But so many people are making short films. So last year, the people that applied to this year's Sundance Film Festival, last year they were obviously making their films during the pandemic, but still over 10,000 people made short films and submitted to Sundance. So you can see that's a lot, and that's of course only people who submitted to Sundance, but that's a lot of people making short films. How many types of short films are there? Short films can incorporate anything. So when you say types, it's like, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean like live action, animation, documentary? Those are kind of, or mixed media. Um, or those are buckets that you can say, and that's kind of what way um, people classify short films, like for example, the Academy. When they do their short films awards, it is live action, animation, documentary. But when you say short films, does it mean something like a narrative short that is done in a traditional short filmmaking way? Is it something that is like a parody? Is it something that is, you know, an adapted uh, short story that is turned into a short? There's so many different kinds of shorts within those buckets. And that's, again, what I love about short films is like basically anybody can say what they've made is a short. Nobody's going to stop you because there's no like official board that says this is a short. This is a short. You could decide I'm going to make something. I'm deciding it's a short, and here it is, it's out in the world. So, you know, for Sundance, 10,000 people submitted short films this last year for consideration for the film festival. What are, were those 10,000 short films? How do you define what they were? You know, obviously the programmers watched 10,000 and they could answer more accurately what they saw amongst those different things. But sometimes it is literally people who have no clue what they're doing and they just say, oh, I've made a short film because I ran, you know, I pushed record on my camera and I pushed stopped and that's what it is and they submit it. And again, I'm not saying that is not a short film, um, but it might not be something that's worth our while watching. And then there's the definition of a vlog 
which could have typically the length of a short, but there is a, there's it's like someone speaking to the camera as if they're like zooming with you. Right. So what is that a short film per se? You know, but what if it was with an actor who was that was written and it was something that had a definite beginning, middle and end. So it wasn't a legitimate vlog, but it was a story that was told in the format of a vlog and it has a title, then I would consider that a short film. But a actual real vlog, I would not consider a short film. In the same way you would say like, is a news broadcast a short film? However, like I would used to always say this is a Bruder film from the Kennedy assassination. Could that be a documentary short that like everybody had seen around the world? Is that a short? I don't know, maybe it's just a news feature. What's the difference between a two to four minute short and a 20 minute short? Well, the difference between a two minute short and 20 minute short obviously is running time. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily mean that a two minute short isn't as good as a 20 minute short or that a 20 minute short should be taken more seriously than a two minute short. Because I've seen amazing films that were two minutes long and I've seen amazing films that were 20 minutes long. I've also seen films that are 20 minutes long that should not have been 20 minutes long. And one of the main criticisms of anyone who deals with short films professionally, like maybe they're a TV programmer or they're a program for, for a festival, is that short films are too long. The problem is many people write and direct and edit and produce the short film themselves. So they're, they're like a one-man band and they've done everything, which is great because it's a terrific learning experience. But they're often not good editors or because they also wrote it and shot it that they can't tell what they need to take out or not. And with a short film, concise, concise, edit down. You know, we, we pay attention to every single moment in a short film because every single moment is important. So quite often that 20 minute long film has really only enough story for 12 minutes per se. But the filmmaker can't see because they're too close to it and they've touched every single part of it. What can be taken out to make it shorter? So, you know, I personally, when I see a 20 minute long film, I'm watching it going, oh, this should have been shut down. This should have been cut down. That's too much. There's there. I also have a thing called uh, feature film pacing. And that's because we've grown up watching feature films and television. And that's so naturally, that's our pacing when we watch things. We expect them to go in that space. Well, a film that has 90 minutes or a TV show that has 42 minutes has a lot of time to set up a lot of information and do a lot of things where a short film doesn't have all that time. And in a short film, you should be paying attention to every single moment. So quite often, a 20 minute long film has feature film pacing, where they'll like spend way too much time at the beginning with like a long credit opening sequence that for a feature you have to do contractually, but for a short, nobody wants to watch that. We don't need to, we don't want to. We wanna get right into the story. Uh, I used to have a friend that we'd go to festivals together and he'd be like, every short film starts with somebody walking somewhere. In a short film, no, you're already there. And then we'd watch it, we'd be like, yeah, sure enough, somebody's walking somewhere. No, in a feature, sure, you can walk somewhere, you can stop at the store, you can chat with friends, and then you'll get to where you wanna go. But in a short film, you are already there and we're already going. Every single moment counts in a short film. So in the similarity of, let's say, a novel, a novella, and a short story, there's rules that apply to each, each length of a, a manuscript. Exactly, so like a, a short film, a short story, there's a certain style that goes for a short story. And we know when we're reading it, it's only gonna go a certain amount of pages. And we know it's going to have an ending that's gonna come up kind of quickly. So we're interested in where, where that ending is gonna come. Uh, and it's very rare that a short story can be expanded to being a novella or even a like novel. Nobody reads the short and goes, you know, we really have a novel here. Maybe you should expand it. Um, sometimes it happens, but it's rare that it does. So. For a short film, it has its own style and it has its own thing that we're expecting from it. 
Um, and then, yeah, maybe novella would be those 15-minute shorts, which usually isn't documentary, you know, that it's more like a TV episode that just happens to be a documentary. And we're used to that, too, from, you know, from watching TV documentaries that are that long. It's totally acceptable to have a 50-minute doc. You know, maybe you have a long story you need to convey, but not enough to make it full 90 minutes. And cruel, it would have been cruel to cut that story down to half an hour or 20 minutes. It has to be 50 minutes or 40 minutes. I think documentary is a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> but again, with short films, anything goes. You can do whatever you want. And if you come up with a story that only works in 10 minutes, then do it in 10 minutes. If you come up with a story that you have to take 40 minutes to do, and that truly is as long as it needs to be, then go for it. Or maybe it really is a feature, and maybe that 10 minutes you've made is to kind of hook people into realizing that there's actually a feature in here. Um, so there's quite a lot of short films that are that. They're kind of like proof of concept or a, a little teaser of what the feature could be. Right, and this is just a side note, but I think the LA Times is now done in this new short docs that they have yes, online. Yes, yeah. New York mm -hmm. Times did it first, oh. uh, and those were very, very popular. And then I've seen, hmm, the Los Angeles Times Ooh. is now doing it too. But you know what? <laughs> Anybody who wants to give credit to short films and show short films, more power to them. Uh, because, you know, that's kind of the hardest thing is to get people to see your film. So if there's some kind of organization like a film festival or a imprint like the New York Times op docs or the LA Times docs, that's just so fabulous. They're putting them out there, they're getting a promotion. Because truthfully nowadays, the easiest thing is to make a film. This is for shorts and for features. The hardest thing is to get distribution and to get people to watch your film. What are the main reasons someone should make a short film? Here's the great thing about short filmmaking. I truly believe everybody should make a short film, if you want to. I'm not gonna force you to make a short film if you weren't interested in making a short film, but there's nothing to stop anybody from making a short film. So if you have something you want to say or make, or maybe you just wanna experiment and try to do something, because experimental is also a really fabulous category of short films, go for it. Nobody ever regrets having made a short film. And one of the reasons is it's not so financially disabling as making a feature. Feature, you put a lot of money in and a lot of people's expectations and it really has to deliver. Short film, short time commitment to make, hopefully very, very little money that you put into it. So why not? Go ahead and do it. So I always encourage people to make short films. I think often you'll find out at festivals, the festival people will tell you too, like the people who had the most fun at film festivals are the short filmmakers because nothing is really riding on it. You know, it's not like there's a lot of investment. You're just there, you've made something you're proud of and you're like, hello world, here I am, I'm now a filmmaker. And that's the great thing about shorts too. It's that nice bridge from, hmm, I'd love to be a filmmaker to actually being a filmmaker. Fastest way to do that is to make a short film. But having said that, I also don't think you should make it so precious as like, I must have the perfect thing before I can become a short filmmaker. I do think, and this is also what's kind of nice about film school, you can make a lot of small things to kind of experiment and do stuff and find your voice that you don't necessarily need to show the world, right? That it could just be something for you to experiment and to find what you are as a filmmaker or to exercise your filmmaking muscles. It doesn't have to be shared with the world. So quite often I teach and a lot of my students want to immediately put their film out into the film festival or put it on YouTube. And that's permanent, you know, that sends the world, it's now something in your IMDb page, it's now something that you're showing people to say, this is, represents me as a filmmaker. And if it's not something that really is of quality yet, then it's still just a learning experience, because I always say shorts are a learning experience for everyone. If it is truly a learning experience, you can just say, that was it, I made it, and I learned a lot from it, but now I'm ready to do my more uh, ready for the world short film. So, you know, everybody can make a short film. 
I would always encourage everyone to make a short film. I don't necessarily encourage everyone that everything you make is so perfect that you know your mom's gonna love them all, obviously, um, and your best friend will love it, and the people who are in it will love it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the world has to see everything you've made. You should be a little cautious about what you send out into the world. Well, that's a great point. How does someone know though? Because sometimes we right. all think everything we do is amazing, or or we have the flip side of that problem, but. Yeah, that's true. Some people do have the flip side, but they're super critical. And it's like, well, how do you know that it's not great until you actually show it to people? So, you know, one thing I do like is doing private screenings where like you and your friends, you can get like five friends, all of whom made something, show it at home. People now have beautiful TVs, you know, invite people to your uh, apartment, you know, make popcorn, have a private screening, like a cast and crew screening. And that's a great way, especially if you show more than one film to see how it plays with people. People who are obviously on your side, um, but if you have a bunch of different cast and crews, there are strangers there who you know, aren't related to you and see how it plays, see what people do. People do test screenings of features all the time. So do a test screening every short and see what happens. However, I will say, you know, it used to be in the world of like, if you build it, they will come. Like put it up on YouTube, people will discover it. And all of a sudden you'll be on Jimmy Fallon talking about your short film that made your whole difference. There's so many things going up on YouTube now. There's so many things that are out there. You can't count on like, if you build it, they will come. It really has to be um, a concentrated effort to get people to see your film. So if you're worried about it, you know, do that kind of test screening. If you are, if you do want to send it out into the world, then you know, that's what festivals are for. Now, some people's shorts are not festival quality shorts. And I will also say, I know so many filmmakers who like apply to all these festivals and don't get in, don't get in. And they're like, my film must really suck. It does, it's not getting into anything. And then finally it breaks for them. They get into one film festival and then they get into another and get into another. So, you know, number one, your film just might not be a festival kind of film and that's totally fine. But also it may just be that, you know, again, 10,000 people made short films that were submitted to Sundance. So don't think that, you know, <laughs> because you're one of the 10,000 and you're not getting in, it's because you personally suck. Uh, I've been on a lot of short film jury, juries and, you know, at festivals. And I always want to tell people that we're like number, uh, like we gave the big prize to film number A, but film number B, we debated forever about, and we all really liked it, just didn't get the prize. And you always want to say, I wish the filmmaker knew that, you know, how much we loved their film and talked about their film. And even though they didn't actually get the prize, you know, they should be very, very proud of that. But you don't hear that. All you hear is film number A won and I didn't win anything. So, you know, you could honestly be film number B where you've got so much potential, it just didn't, didn't happen for you at that time. Do you advise filmmakers to make a short film from their screenplay, such as like filming a sequence from maybe the first page? So a lot of people do that, that they have a screenplay and there's no, like, they can't get people to look at their screenplay. That's like the hardest thing, right? To break into Hollywood and get people to look at their screenplay. So people say to them, you know, well, maybe you should shoot a little bit of the film uh, and of uh, the screenplay and then people can see that and see the potential of what this thing could be. So uh, quite often those are like proof of concept shorts that you take either a little scene or you maybe take one of the characters from it and film something different with that character just to show though that that character has a lot of potential and could be interesting. Um, the hard part is sometimes those don't hold up on their own. Like that little scene doesn't really work as a film. It works to kind of show what the screenplay could be. But on the other hand, you know, you, if you want to make your film for like a hundred million dollars, you're not going to be able to invest that much in a little teeny bit of a short film. So that doesn't give you that you know, grandeur that you would get when they actually make the feature. Um, so, but it's totally legitimate to make a proof of concept 
and then you send that little, you show people that bit and they say, ah, now I understand what the feature could be. You know, a lot of um, features are execution dependent where people just can't see what it would potentially be. So if you put together a little something, you're like, now you can see what it could potentially be. So it's worthwhile doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean that's a festival short. It really might be just truly a proof of concept for that feature uh, script and that's all it is. Uh, conversely, a lot of people have made short films that got a lot of attention and then people are like, you know, there's a feature in there. Um, and then they've written the feature around the short film. You know, so Whiplash is actually one of the most famous ones that it was a feature script first. He couldn't get the attention for it. So he took an actual scene from it and it's on the internet. I think it's on the Blu-ray of the DVD. It's pretty easy to find um, of that scene. And um, he had uh, J.K. Simmons as the ins music instructor, but a different kid, not Miles Teller as the drummer. Um, and so he shot an actual scene from it. And that's short film also called Whiplash, <laughs> got into the Sundance Film Festival, won an award, and then everybody's like, well, and he was like, well, here's the feature script. So that gave him a lot of momentum by having, uh, showing people what it could be. But just to play the devil's advocate for a moment, I think, wouldn't there be a little bit of a danger in just shooting one page because there wouldn't be an arc to the story? It, it wasn't just one page, it was one scene. So, you know, yeah, exactly. You don't, you need to have a beginning, middle and end. And that's why sometimes people don't do something exactly from the script, they take something out of it and carefully construct it as a short film. And those are more successful because people have the experience doing it. Also people have done like little trailers. So recently, uh, the. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air TV show got remade as just Bel-Air and how it happened was the filmmaker thought oh I could do this kind of gritty version of, um, of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air now and he made like a little trailer for that just for fun because he thought it was like a, a good concept of like let's show the real Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and based on that they were able to develop a TV series so it does work quite often that you can show something and then people see what it could be and then bigger pieces happen. Actually, right now, too, there's another. Sh there's two films that are out right now. Um, one film called Emergency, feature film on Amazon Prime. That was a short film that did very well on the festival circuit. And then people said to them, this could be a feature. And they're like, yes, let's make the feature. Um, and then Marcel, the shell with shoes on, that's now a feature film, too. And that was a short film originally. Do most filmmakers realize their short film is a calling card or almost an online resume? See, I agree with you that I think that's short films, no matter what, are an online resume and not necessarily a calling card of what you want to do for the future, but a calling card of you as a filmmaker. And that's what they should be. This is your chance to do whatever you want to do that shows your voice. Like, this is who I am, this is what I want to do. So I know filmmakers who, for example, have made comedy shorts. They got a lot of success and they were able to get an agent off of it and they got meetings with people in Hollywood and everyone was like, here's a comedy we'd love you to do. And they're like, well, really what I want to do is drama. It's like, well, they, everybody got excited because you could show them your comedy. Uh, on a similar note, I know a filmmaker who did a short film with a dog, um, and it was just happened to be that there's a dog in the story, but then he got offered all these dog features, and he was like, I'm not a dog filmmaker, but that's what people can see. They're like, oh, he works well with the dog. We happen to have a dog script. We're looking for a dog director. Doot, 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 here we go. So you have to be a little careful that knowing, you know, you, if you want to make horror films, you should think about what your future holds. So if you want to make horror films, then you should do a horror short. You know, you can do a comedy horror short or something like that, but you should think about where you want to go. If you want to be a documentary filmmaker, I think doing a narrative short doesn't really help you in any way. If you want to, uh, you know, make really slick kind of things in the future, you, you should make slick things as your short film. 
but it also should reflect who you are too. So like, for example, you know, yeah, if you're a comedian or something like that, you shouldn't, nobody's expecting you to make a drama, you know, heart rendering drama film. And then, you know, have you say, but what I really, uh, this is who I really am. It's like, well, no, we always knew you were a comedian. This is weird that you want to do these dramas. So you have to think about who you were, where you're going and make something that is true um, expression of you. <laughs> So then is don't necessarily make something just to get in the festival. Try to establish your style and what you want to do and not just do it for trends. Well, people always ask, for example, the programmers at the Sundance Film Festival, it's like, what is a Sundance short? Is if you could do like, if you tell me it's A, B, and C, and I do A, B, and C, then I'll get into Sundance, right? And they always say, no, you know, we put together this whole group of different things to put together the film festival. And so there is no specific, this is what we want. So you can't just say like, you know, oh, a clown, crazy clown film won last year. So if I do a crazy clown film, then I'll win this year. Or that that's what they love. They love crazy clown films. So I'll definitely get in if that's what I do. Really what people are looking for is something unique and special and moving and heartfelt and, you know, audience pleasing and, um, they want to feel like there's some talent there and they're, they're going to nurture this talent and expose this talent to the world. So there isn't like a formula that, can, that says this is what will be successful. Uh, and you know, some people make a great short film and then make another short film and it fails terribly, depending on what you consider failing. Um, you know, it doesn't get reactions from people or people don't think it's as good as their first film. Then they make a third film and people are like, mm, it's still not so great or it's amazing. So there's no, there's no rules about what makes a good short film or what you should make. There's no definition of what's a failure too. And, and quite often filmmakers will tell you they had to make certain things before they were ready to make their next film. So those little bits of what some people might consider a failure weren't a failure at all. It was a learning step for them so that they could get up to the next step. So, you know, that's the great thing about short films. There's no, there's really no failure. It's as long as you're making stuff and you feel like you got something out of it and it was worthwhile and you developed your muscles as a filmmaker, then you should consider it a success. Can you run down the feature film pressure that short films kind of lessen the burden of? So what are kind of some of the problems of a, a feature that a short film either doesn't have or has a lot less of? Short feature films are a big deal, right? You're usually going to shoot at bare minimum, like 12 days, 18 days, 24 days. Short films, I honestly am a big believer in like a weekend short filmmaking, two days, maybe three days, maybe four days, but that's it. So in terms of like, just in terms of a production that you have to manage, shooting 24 days versus shooting four days is a radically different thing. Also, you know, uh, quite often smaller crew for a short film because you're quite often doing things without needing to have all that elements that go along with making a feature happen. So you can get away with less people. I mean, I know a lot of people who don't do continuity for a short film, whereas if for a feature film, you should have a script supervisor. For a short film, maybe you don't need it. Up to you, really. Um, so, you know, also in terms of the people who work on the short film, quite often it's your friends, it's friends from film school. You don't need to get a professional uh, cinematographer. You know, you're, you're, you can shoot it yourself if you want to. Sound, I always think sound is super important for anything, for a short film or a feature film. You should really make sure you have good sound. As good of sound as a feature film would have. But so sound is something don't skip on. Um, so, you know, production wise, much easier on a short, less to pull together. And quite often you're doing it when you're in school too. So you have the advantages of 
people in school, school production stuff you can use, the camera can be provided from school, your classmates are there so you don't have to work so hard to get a crew, you know. It's the infrastructure is kind of there for a short film usually. Um, for a feature, it's a bigger ask to get people to work. You have to pay them. You should do things correctly for a feature too. And that's the other thing I'll say real quickly for a short film. I always say it's like you could treat it as a dry run for a feature and do everything properly. You know, keep the hours the way you would keep them for a feature. Use SAG actors, do a SAG contract and learn how the, all of that works so that when you make the feature, you're already familiar and you've already made mistakes. <laughs> you've made the mistakes on the short film that doesn't count versus the feature. If you make a mistake there, it could be very problematic in many ways. So short film is a really nice way to learn how to do it properly. Um, and so that when you're ready to make a feature, you're ready to make a feature. And that's quite often too why people want you to have made a short first too, because you've learned things so that you're not learning on the feature. You've already, <laughs> you now are a filmmaker after having made that short film and you've, uh, you know, Shorts are a learning experience for everybody, I always say. So a lot of things will go wrong in your short, but you can salvage it with a short film. With a feature, it could be a lot more problematic. Storytelling, though, too, is a big deal. This is a different kind of storytelling for a feature film than a short film. So for a short film, quite often people will put in so many characters and so many storylines. It's like, no, simplify, simplify. For the short film, you don't need to do all of that. For a feature, you know, it's very hard to do a feature, although there've been some great ones made with like one person, <laughs> one actor, lead actor of some sort, or one setting. Short film, you can get away with something like that. You can get away with two people in a room if you need to. You can't do a whole feature of two people in a room. Well, you can, but again, questionable whether people really want to see that. So, you know, also with the short film, and I always try to encourage this too, you can do so many things uniquely with filming. You could actually still shoot 35 with a short film just to have the experience of doing it. You could shoot your entire film with a drone if you wanted to. You could uh, you know, shoot your entire film with 16 millimeter film. There's so many different ways that you could do it technically that you couldn't necessarily do with the feature. So why not experiment with a short film and try different aspects of things? Storytelling too. You don't necessarily have to do act one, act two, act three. You know, Again, many features have done act three first, but with a short, you can totally do act three first and you know, skip two and just go back to act one at the end. Or, there's also, for shorts, we like a lot of um, twists and turns and surprises. And with a feature, you know, you can do that, but it's still, it's got a lot of story that has to tell. So you can't do as many crazy things as you can do with storytelling as you can with a short. How should a filmmaker plan out a shooting day? When you should shoot your short film is when you're available, the people who are gonna help you are available, and the location is available. And sometimes it all falls apart on you. And you can just say, well, it's a short film. It fell apart. We can call it a day and do it again next weekend. You know, it was raining that day, for example. Well, with the feature film, you know, it's a problem because you're supposed to be shooting for seven days, you know, 10 days, 12 days, whatever. For a short film, it's raining that day. Sorry, we're not shooting today. We're going to have to start and do it another day. Okay, so how much planning though should someone do? Like, let's suppose the stars are aligned and things are actually going to go well. Uh, should they do their own call sheet? I mean, should they really? You said people should act as if it's almost a feature. And so. so there's two schools of doing it. You can do it in a dry run for making a feature, where you really do everything, do a call sheet, do um, everything that you, way you should do it, like for a feature, so you have that experience of doing it. And I, I personally like that way of doing it because then you get the double bang for your buck. You get the experience of making a short film, and you're ready now to make a feature and everything that you've learned that you did wrong the first time around with a short you'll now know to do right for the feature but I also am a big fan of like me and my three pals are going to go make this thing and so we don't need to plan it all out uh, I have uh, commissioned a short film 
years ago, I used to do a DV series and we commissioned a filmmaker to make a short film. And he literally just had his friends do it. And they, they go up on a bus and everyone's like, how'd you get the rights for the bus? He's like, we just went into the bus. Um, and you know, he planned it all out ahead of time, but just he and his friends did it that day. And there you go, it was done. Um, and he didn't get permits and, um, you know, they just rented a car. And then he told me later it, it was involving uh, animals in mascot outfits, you know, driving a car. And he was like, later I found out they had like no vision in those mascot helmets and they were driving this car and it was like, yeah, this sounds terrible. <laughs> this sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen, but it wasn't, it all worked out fine. So, you know, uh, sure filmmakers are dumb and we're willing to try anything and they don't really worry about, it's like, yeah, let's just get, let's just go on the bus. Let's just drive the thing he can't see, but we're only going half a block. Hopefully it'll be fine. Um, so, you know, and that's why people always get hurt on a short film or something gets broken. You should always prepare for loss and damage on a short film as well. It's a learning experience for all of us. In a similar way, if you're going to do another film with uh, somebody in a mascot suit, now you realize the car needs to be up on a trailer and be professionally trailed, and then they can be driving in because they're not really driving. Yeah, no, it's interesting where you can kind of get away from it. And we're not advocating, you know, being in, in major public spots and obstructing sort of the, the flow of people. But I know one place that I, there was like a mailbox on this one dirt road and I would pass it on my way to work. I was like, I really need this shot. Whereas Metro, no problem. That shot I finally got, actually got a woman from the homeowners association who saw me, blocked my car, wanted to know my name. So sometimes it's very interesting what you can get away with and what you can't. For some reason she saw me and then on my way to work, after that, the next few days, there were new signs up. No filming. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I don't know what prompted it, but you never know what's going to actually tip someone tip the scales a little bit. So. Well, that's the disadvantage of shooting in Los Angeles because uh -huh. we have so many productions and people are so used to it that, you know, it's not like you're shooting in your hometown. And I always advocate shooting your own hometown because people want to help you there. And there's not that same issue as if you're shooting in Los Angeles. We shot a short film in a mini mall and it was the perfect location. Um, and we paid everybody the, it had a laundromat and a restaurant and we totally redecorated the restaurant. They had to shut down for the day and we paid for all of that. These were, well-produced, well-funded short films. But uh, anyway, then the owner of the mini mall showed up and he's like, you have to pay me. I, it's not the renters of the mini mall, it's the owner. I was like, ooh, okay, lesson learned. Like shorts are a learning experience for everyone. Right. I didn't realize it was the actual owner. So when I say to you like, you can shoot in your apartment, in reality, you should have the landlord's permission to shoot in the apartment, but you know, you should be shoot in your apartment, whatever. But lesson learned is the owners that have to officially give you permission to and sign the release for the location permit. How does a filmmaker decide what kind of short to make? You should definitely make something that you want to make. I always say, and this is for shorts and for features, you know, when people say, well, what makes a good film? I always say there's three things. The very first thing is something you want to make. For shorts and for features, you shouldn't make something you don't want to make. You're gonna be the prime driver of this and you're gonna live with this for the rest of your career. So don't think, you know, horror films are very popular, so I should make a horror film. It's like, no, if that's not who you are or what you want to do, this is the short film is your chance to do what you want to do. So don't sell out because you think you should do that. No, do something you really wanna do. So the first thing is make something you really wanna make. Then the second part is, is make something that other people want to make. So if you can't convince anyone to star in your short or help you help you know direct it and or, or produce it or act in it or um, you know even crew on it, if people aren't so excited to help you on it, that might be your first clue that this is not something really is ready to be made at this period of time. 
um, or maybe you don't have enough money to make it. I know a lot of people who've written short scripts and you look at it and you're like, well, do you have $20,000? Because <laughs> if you don't have that, I don't think you're going to be able to make this film. Again, we're so used to seeing features that do all these incredible things that we, it's hard for us to realize, well, yeah, that has budgets of, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So if you wanted to do something that was kind of like that, but only two, mil, two minutes long, still, you're going to need a million dollars. So, you know, do you have a million dollars? You got to scale back and do what you can actually physically do for a short film. So something you want to make, something others want to make and is makeable. And then lastly, this is the part that you can ignore or not ignore, but something that other people want to see. So, you know, just because you want to make it and your friends want to make it, it could be that, you know, you're not getting into festivals because it's just not a film that people really want to see. So, um, I always uh, say, uh, there's a lot of people who make short films about Alzheimer's and I'm always like, oh, another Alzheimer's short. It's a story that they really felt like they wanted to tell and there's a lot of older actors who love to do that film too. And you can get great actors and, and great drama in the story and it really could be moving. But we've seen that short over and over and over again. And, you know, in a submission of like 20 short films, two of them will be Alzheimer's shorts. And you're just like, we've seen it. The audience has seen it. It's just overdone. So, you know, there are certain things that are just overdone. It used to be for a while zombie shorts. Like everybody was making zombie shorts, I think, because the makeup was easy to do or accessible. And again, there's inherent drama in zombies, right? And maybe that's something people really want to do. They're like, I want to direct The Walking Dead, so I'm going to make a zombie short. And, you know, having said that, there's some uh, zombie shorts that I absolutely adore. And people did crazy things with it, like zombie prom. And um, there's a great one called I Love You, Sarah Jane. So there's some that I love as zombie shorts, but there's been a lot of zombie shorts. So, you know, yours has to be different so that people don't be like, hmm, it's another zombie short. Sure. And what was the feature, uh, Alzheimer's feature? Was it away from her? Oh, wasn't it Alice was one too? There's been a lot. Yeah, of... there's been some great features, but yeah, yeah I get it. For a short, it might be, yeah. But even now, if you tried to make another feature of that, people would be like, haven't we seen that a hundred times already? Sure, sure. There's certain topics that are just, you know, you could argue universal and always of interest. And again, your specific version of it would make it specific and not so universal. You know, everybody has a different kind of story with it. Um, so in the same way, there's lots of different ways you can do zombie shorts. So I'm not talking you out of it. I'm just saying, by the way, <laughs> there's a lot of that. However, again, like coming of age, aren't there a million coming of age stories? And each one is different and unique. So you should tell your own coming of age story that you really want to tell. And quite often students do, because like what living have they done? Coming of age is all the living they've really done. So go ahead and make a coming of age story. And I'm sure it'll be, you know, very moving and touching and something you wanted to make and others wanted to make. There just might be a point where people don't necessarily want to see it because like we've seen a lot of coming of age shorts. Sure. Or, or about like a family member. But I know there was, there's been a few where there was one about a guy whose dad was a musician and he kind of gave it up to raise his kids. And there was a part of him that felt very resentful about that. And it was a great look at how this guy never really got to connect with his dad because his dad always felt like I gave up my art for you. And, and it was the way it was done was, was, I mean, you had tears in your eyes. So that, I love moving short, you know, so as much as I'll try to talk filmmakers out of something like, Oh no, don't do it. If it's moving, I don't care if I've seen a million of them before. I want to be moved and I want to be touched and I want to hear a story that the filmmaker had to tell despite a hundred people telling them, don't do it. There've been too many of them or whatever. If you have something passionate you want to say and do, then it'll translate onto screen and we'll see it and be like, wow, even though we said, oh, we've got a million of them, we're only going to show one. We're going to show yours because yours was so fabulous. Sure. And, but then there's a danger and then you could do it. Oh, my uncle Joe's just great. And everyone's like, 
sure, he's a sweet guy, but what's where's the arc here? You know, so th there is, you know, I get. My big pet peeve is endings, that so many people, and this what turns what was sketches a lot too, that there's just no ending. And with short films, we really are critical about the ending. Quite often there's a big, terrific twist at the end that takes you completely by surprise and everything you've seen before you now reevaluate. Um, and those ten, shorts tend to do great because we're not expecting that. Um, but no matter what, there has to be a reason that your short ends at that time and that ending has to feel satisfying to the viewers. So, you know, I think that's where a lot of people fail too, is that just peters out. There's no real ending. There's no last statement or anything like that. Um, it's just like, and it's over. <laughs> Maybe because they ran out of money or because the ending didn't work and they just kind of cut back till they found something they thought could potentially work. But ending is so important. What if someone can't decide whether to make a short film, a feature film, or a TV pilot? So TV pilots, I don't really have much to say on that front because it's not my specialty and it's also tricky in this world. I mean, I think you could make something that other people will say, oh, that could actually work as a pilot for, or a concept for a TV show. So it wasn't like a 22 minute or 42 minute full on legitimate pilot, you know, which again, people are used to expensive uh, stuff on TV. So if you have those, <laughs> if you have those millions sitting around so you can make a pilot that looks like a real pilot, go for it. But you can do a part of it or a little segment of it or a trailer of it to give people an idea of what it could potentially be. But for a short film or for a feature film, um, you know, you can you can go ahead and make it, right? Nobody's going to stop you from doing it. Um, and I, I shouldn't be just say don't do a TV pilot. If you know how to do it, go for it. Do it. Again, nobody stops you. And that's what's so fabulous. It's like if you want to do it and you think you know how to do it, go for it. Totally make it. But I always say too, people can tell. People can tell from like watching two minutes of a 20 minute long film, this person is a storyteller. This person knows what they're doing. And they'll often say, I don't need to see the whole film. I can see that they know, you know how to work with actors, how to deliver moving moments, et cetera. And that can show people, okay, now they're ready to make that bigger piece. So don't feel like you have to do the full length thing to have people appreciate what your talent is or see that there's talent to make you take the next step of, you know, you don't have to make a low budget feature to get hired to make a feature. <laughs> there are many people who've gotten hired to make a feature based on a short film or just based on their script by themselves, you know, by itself that they can be a director for it. Um, you know, I do believe in low budget filmmaking and there's a great, up. No, again, no one will stop you and there, you can make amazing things with a low budget film. But I always think it kind of comes back to money too, you know, no matter how cheap you try to do it, low budget filmmaking for feature, that's a lot of money. You know, it's a, even if you're scraping by with thousands, it's like, do you have thousands? <laughs> you can make a car or, you know, you could buy a brand new car or you could make a feature film that, and people aren't used to seeing so cheap feature films too. That's what's also really difficult. They're used to more expensive films. So sometimes they don't see the value of what you're making when you've done it so incredibly cheap. I would say, you know, a short film that was really short but shows your talent and shows what you want to do is more worth uh, your time and effort and money. And so, you know, again, I don't think you can make a short film for no money whatsoever. You can make a short film for $500. You can make a short film for a couple of thousand dollars. Quite often I teach and some of my students underestimate how much money they have to put into it especially about post. <laughs> now, when you're a film student, you can often get things to help you with, with post, but the difference between something that you just shot on your iPhone with no post and something that you do proper post on, world of difference. So, you know, people underestimate the money that you need for post-production, and then they offer uh, underestimate the amount of money you need if you're gonna send your film off on the festival circuit. That's also not free. <laughs>
So all of a sudden it's like, let's say you had $5,000, which I would love to have $5,000 to spend on my art. Um, you know, I'd rather you make a short film for $3,000, including all your posts and save $2,000 to send it off on the festival circuits where you can actually go and attend these festivals and, you know, uh, because they're not going to pay you. <laughs> to, if the festival's not in your back door, they're not going to pay you to fly you out or put you up, but you may want to do that. And then, you know, you need money to do that. So I would highly recommend when you're budgeting, put money for post and put money for festivals if that's something you want to do. What if someone says, I'll do my own post? A lot of people do think they can do their own posts because, you know, that's the miracle of the, the computer now that so many elements are there. And you can in the same way you can write your own script or shoot your own script. But I always say, like, it's a world of difference if you have somebody shoot it, be a DP for you. So why wouldn't you also have somebody edit for you and be there, uh, give their skills for that? And why wouldn't you have somebody do their post-production sound? Because it's amazing how much post-production sound can add to the production value of your film. Sound is everything. People will forgive things that don't look that great. But if the sound is good, it brings it up incredibly and makes it so much more professional. Um, and a lot of people want to help you. You know, a lot of post-production places, if you approach them and you're only asking for help on a five-minute long short and you have time, <laughs> you're like, whenever if you can do it in your spare time, sometimes you can get professionals to help you on these things for not that much money. Or you pay like a regular client. And if you have that money, you can get top not I know a lot of short filmmakers who have Skywalker Sound do their sound. It's doable, you know? So... If you have the money, <laughs> frankly, in filmmaking, if you have the money, a lot of things are possible. That's for true. You. But don't skip on post and don't skip on marketing. What is the story structure of a short film? Because short films can do anything or say anything and they should be unexpected and you can do act, you know, you're ending at the beginning and you're beginning at the end, there is no structure. So, but I do think simplicity helps a lot. I don't think you should have a hundred different characters with a hundred different plots going on and A, B lines. It's not like screenwriting. That's what, when people do a short film screenwriting, I'm always kind of like, what could you be talking about? Because there aren't the same kind of rules as there are for features. It really depends on what story you want to tell. And then I just think it's a lot about simplification and really bringing it down to a simple idea. And one thing I love about short films, because I'm known for short films, right? People will always say to me, oh, I saw this really great short film. And then they'll tell me the short film that they saw. So I haven't visually seen it, but I've heard someone tell me to, and I'll be like, that sounds like a great short film. And I kind of feel like I've seen it because they were able to tell me the whole plot of what it was. So, you know, your short story, your short film should work in that way that people can tell you what it is. But a lot of them are like just visual. One of my favorite kinds of short films are dialogue-free short films, where there's absolutely no dialogue, but it is all told, you know, it's not like an old fashioned running, pushing piano up the hill and having a fall down Laurel and Hardy kind of thing. But just you can tell a story with visuals, the actual old fashioned visual filmmaking way. Um, and it's great. And so many, and though I'll also say the short films with no dialogue translate very well, translate uh, very well for different countries. People love films with no dialogue because it, it's universal. It's like you're going to be a universal story of something that is told through cinema. It's a very cinematic way of telling a story. But anyway, so yeah, nothing, you know, you can do anything you want to do. And I could try to talk you out of like, don't do like traditional structure, but you can do traditional structure if that's what your story needs and is to be told. Um, endings are really important in short films. Beginnings are really important in short films. And middles are very important in short films. I do think every scene in your short film should also, you got to look at it and say beginning and ending, you know, are we lingering too long? Can we get out and do that before you shoot it? 
because, you know, again, every, every moment counts and if you're going to have a longer shoot if you have a bunch of stuff in it that later you're going to cut out in editing. Evaluate every scene. Look at the, does it start as late as it can? Does it end as early as it possibly can? And then do you really need it? What is the scene actually about and have we already done that? I hate short films where it just takes forever to get to the storyline or they, they have a big opening credit sequence of somebody driving in a car with beautiful scenery going on and the credits say, you know, costumes by and DP by. And it's like, no, for feature films contractually, you have to do that. They have to have full screen credits. For short film, there's no thing like that. We have no opening credit sequence. People don't want to sit through that. We don't want to see that. Start right away with what your story is. And, you know, you don't, everything should be what needs to be. Nothing superfluous, nothing that is just there because it may entertains you. Um, you know, you can have a super chatty film too, but just make sure everything that's in there and chatty needs to be in there. So, so I say probably the biggest thing about the structure is just make sure it starts good, make sure it ends good, make sure everything in there needs to be in there, has to be in there and as tight as possible, um, and that you're happy with it. It sounds like, like you said earlier, if someone's walking to go somewhere, have them be already there. Exactly. And then for the ending, uh, don't have it abrupt, have some type of a payoff. You know, sometimes an abrupt ending is fine too, but have it, you know, work in some way. Okay. The other thing I should say too is another huge pet peeve is too long of credits. Because on the festival world, your short film will quite often be put in a program of short films. So the audience watches one short film, has to sit through like two minutes of credits, and then now they're ready to see the other short film. And running time really counts for short films. So if your film is like a seven minute short film, but two minutes of that are credits, no, 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 no. Fast, 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 fast for those credits, you know, shove them up all on the screen. Sometimes people Kickstarter uh, or one of those kind of things and they promise credits on the screen make them almost unreadable <laughs> and have them go there. If you're putting your film online, you can have long credits at the end because nobody's sticking around for that either. As soon as they see the film is over, they just stop watching it. Nobody, in features, nobody wants to see credits. Nobody wants to see credits, but don't have long credits on your film and have that be part of your running time that hamper you for, uh, you know, because again, running time counts. Sure. I mean, theoretically, you could always have a website that has, that mentions the backers, but I realize it's not the same as, as being in the credits, but. And you know, there isn't necessarily one version of your film. Maybe you have the festival version of your film that doesn't have those long credits in it. And then you have the web version that does have all those long credits in it. So, you know, there are ways to deal with it in that way too. How many different story structures are there for short films? Short films can be anything, so there could be as many different story structures as you want it to be. Um, but I don't think there's like an A plot and a B plot and a C plot like you would have in like a TV show or something like that. You really just want to have the A plot. <laughs> uh, you know, there might be a little teeny bit of a runner, but doubtful in that way. Um, and, you know, that's the thing about short films. It's not the same, you know, we don't have like, there's going to be a gangster uh, film. So these are the rules for a gangster film. Um, there, there is, this is my personal opinion. Um, some people might feel that there should be more structure in that way. But I say anything goes, whatever you want to do, do. Can a short film be a series of images without a protagonist and no structure? So what do you, how do you define what a short film is? And, and you know, there's um, experimental shorts that are very famous and are very um, interesting to watch, but there's no storyline whatsoever. It's just images that are happening and that's fine. Again, who's to define what a short film is? And if you say your film is experimental and that's what you want to do with it, then 
go for it. If that's what your vision is. Um, and you know, sometimes people love that because it's like, okay, we're going to program this one film that is like a Tarantino wannabe kind of film. And we're going to program this one short film that's like a horror film. And then we need to do something different. We can't do another horror film or another coming of age. So let's put in the weird, you know, artsy thing that uh, just delights us. You know, there's also like dance films where people just film a dance performance or music videos. There's a lot of music videos that people consider a short film or, you know, who's to say if it's just a music video or is it cinematic enough to make who decides these things there's again there's no short film board that says you are a short you are a music video you are a commercial you are just Drek I have no idea what you are you as the filmmaker get to find what it is so if, you, if you're not a narrative storyteller and you just want to make these beautiful things then that's fabulous now that's not the person that's going to be hired to direct the next Star Wars film you know and so if that's your goal you should make something that makes you more obviously the the person who's going to direct the next Star Wars film. Um, but you, that may be that shows you have such a unique artistic point of view. And people think, this person might be really interesting to make a different kind of Spider-Man film or something like that. They have such a unique um, eye and thinking. And, you know, if that's who you are, then be who you are in a short film or short film format. Just do it. So something that doesn't really have much of a storyline that might be more geared toward, let's say, a contemporary art museum. There are museum pieces, but I have also have seen museum pieces play in film festivals. So, um, you know, in an example of a museum piece, the museum decides, you know, is this something that is worthy of being in our halls? Now, they also may be completely wrong, too. And they're like, it just seems like a bunch of drips on canvas. Who's this Jackson Pollock after all? You know, who's to say who's <laughs> right or wrong? And because short filmmakers, um, you know, on the front lines of doing something unique and different, people might not understand their film right away. And then in five years' time, you look back and you're like, oh, you know, look at this crazy thing Christopher Nolan is doing. Five years ago, I saw a short film that just did that. Exactly. You know, we sometimes are too ahead of the curve. And are doing really special and unique stuff that is not what people are used to. And that's great, too. We don't want to see the same old, same old. We want to see something really different and unique. Right, just to go back and watch Cindy Sherman, like old old videos online from the Cindy 90s. Sherman. Yeah, and it's like, wow, this was, this was ahead of its time. Yeah. This is so cool. Isn't that so neat? And so, like, short films, too, they don't really age that much. Really terrific short films. I mock the, like the Lauren Hardy short films, the one realers, but people still go back and look at those and love those and think they're fabulous. If you go back and watch the Oscar winners for animation from years ago, whoa, these things are amazing and still seem really special and unique nowadays. Um, and same thing for live action. There's some live action short films that just blow you away. It's also really fun to go back and see like the short films of filmmakers like Christopher Nolan or whatever and go back and see his short film and you say, oh, so George Lucas, when he was at USC, did a lot of short films. <laughs> and some of them are incredibly boring. <laughs> but still you see what, the, the, what he was interested in. And there was all these sound things. You could tell he was very interested in sound. And, um, and we can see them now because USC owns those films and shows those films. Ah. But so it's super interesting to see famous filmmakers now, what they were doing in short films. And you can see, you know, oh, I see their voice in it. And that's, those are special filmmakers, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's why it's really worthwhile going back and seeing their short films. Should you start a short film by writing a logline? I like writing a logline first to say what in the world is your short film. And even if you don't think you're going to have it written down, when you talk to people about having them be part of your film, they're going to say, what's your film about, right? So you should have a, a logline that can tell people what your film is. And if you write it ahead of time and have it ready to spew and say easily, then that is really a, a good thing. 
Um, but ultimately, you're going to have to tell people what your film's about whatsoever. When you finish your film, and if you want to put it online or send it out in the festival circuit, you have to write a log line that gets sent with that film. And that log line, they print verbatim. So one of the short films I produced uh, was a film called I'm on Fire, and it's about a guy who's on fire. <laughs> we had special effects to put him on fire. So the filmmaker wrote the log line, and we're like, what in the hell is the log line going to be for this? Because, um, you know, before he comes out, in theory, you don't know he's going to be on fire, and then he's on fire. Um, so <laughs> the filmmaker came up with the log line with a very short film about a man on fire. <laughs> pretty much said what it was, and it was like two minutes long. It's a very short film about a man on fire. So to this day, I can easily quote that log line because it is, that's what the film is about. So, um, but yeah, your log line is gonna follow that film on IMDb, everywhere in the world. So you wanna make sure you write it well. But also, you don't wanna write it so obscurely that people are like, I have no idea, you know, because I'm on fire could be a manifestation of love told in a unique way. And everyone's gonna be, it's that film about the man on fire. You know, it's like, it, that's what it is. The title is that. Speaking of log lines, titles are also super important for short films. And I love a unique title because, um, again, marketing is going to be something you need to think about. And so, uh, you know, are you gonna hashtag it? Are you gonna be a way that people can find it? But there's so many short films that just have a generic short title that means nothing and you can't, you know, there's a hundred of those films and, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, oh, well, <laughs> I have a friend that did a film called Pig and that, that's a good title and, you know, there's not that many films called Pig so we can find it easily in that way. Um, but if you do a long title, you could totally do a long title too. I always tell people a short film, it's never going to be on a marquee somewhere. So you can do a super long title if you want, although people will always kind of shorten it when they tell you what the version of it is. Um, but I love a unique title. I think that also shows your creativity and the specialness of the film. It makes people interested. Um, we also produced a short film called 78. Um, and it was about a kid on a manhole cover jumping up and down and up and down. He keeps on saying 78, 78, 78. And so um, the film is called 78 and people would say to us on the festival circuit, they'd see the filmmaker having watched the film before and they're like, 78, 78, 78. It's like, how nice. Look, they're quoting the title and they remember that from the film and there you go. So, you know, yeah, if your film is about a man on fire, I'm on fire is not a bad title for it. And uh, people kind of know it. So writing a good log line totally counts and you should spend time into it. It's also if you write a really complicated log line that it's hard to follow or it's too obscure, you can write it and they'll publicize it, but nobody's gonna call it that. Thunder Road is a, a short film that was, it's a terrific short film. People love Thunder Road. <laughs> Interesting enough, also a Springsteen title as is I'm on fire, but anyway. Um, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Thunder Road, when I looked at his official log line um, for it's about a, a cop who's um, um, giving a eulogy to, about his dead mother. Um, so that's my log line for it. His log line is, it, is um, Officer Arnaud loves his mother. <laughs> okay. okay, it doesn't mention funeral or eulogy, which is a big part of that short film, but that's the log line that he wrote for it. But when most people say it about it, they're like, it's that one about the cop giving the eulogy about the mom. So your film boils down to what the essence is, no matter how much you try to dress it up and do different things with it. Pig, is that Nicolas Cage's movie, Pig? No, Pig is, oh, Pig is a terrific pig. film. Oh. Um, it's, a, it's a genre of urban myths. So. Oh, okay. Here I'll tell you the story of Pig, <laughs> often when people sell stories. Um, so it's a woman in a Mercedes driving down a, uh, and she's super fancy, she's driving down this windy road. And coming up from the opposite direction, 
no, she's coming up and he's going down. Um, coming down from the opposite direction is a really gross guy in a Vespa and he's picking his nose and he's totally, he's like a pig, right? <laughs> and so when she passes him, she yells out at the window at him, pig, when we've seen him doing specifically gross things. And then um, we, we don't see it, but we hear a crash and the um, moped falls over and a pig crosses the road. So she was warning him that there was going to be a pig ah. that he did. It's terrific. And it, people laugh and laugh and laugh when they, it's online too, you can see it online. They laugh and laugh and laugh when they were just not expecting to see an actual real pig. And, she, and so the twist was, she wasn't calling him a pig. She was warning him that there was a pig at the end of the road. That's fascinating. So there's a payoff, a there's great a payoff. payoff. And we don't see her get, do we see her getting into her car or she's just already in Already it? driving. Okay, great. So we've, we've kind of cut to the chase in that part. Exactly. And then I guess, do you, do you, they call it muddy middles where we just kind of like don't have enough that's clear cut in the middle. Does that happen with short films? It does. It, it, you know, beginning is so important. Ending is so important. So then we're like, well, what about the middle? The middle is so important too. Isn't that terrible? And every single part counts. But yeah, the middle is really tricky. And sometimes people put too much in the middle and we've kind of lost the thread of what's going on. Um, or they don't put enough in the middle. And it's kind of like you had a great beginning and a great end, but we don't really, there was no middle to make it really work. So the middle is where people fall apart too. Beginnings, middles, and ends. All important. Does a short film have to have a hook? Feature films and short films benefit from having a hook. And film, filmmakers hate to hear that. They're like, I don't want to do something crass and commercial and something that has a hook. But hook just means is there's something we know what it is. And the hook sometimes can be genre, um, but it's so much easier if there is some kind of um, quick way that we can say what this piece is about without destroying what it is. You know, obviously you don't want to give it all away with, and that's where log lines are tricky. If the hook is something that is given away, you have to craft around um, so that people don't know what that twist is going to be. Um, but it really does help <laughs> to have a hook. And uh, it also shows you have kind of a, um, a good storytelling sense and people like that. And so they're like, this person knows how to deliver something that really hooks the audience and um, is commercially kind of in that sense. It's not, a, in my world, it's not a negative thing. I'm coming from someone who's from Hollywood. So, you know, maybe the NYU filmmakers or the Columbia filmmakers are like, hook, no, don't even talk about the word hook. Um, but, you know, to me, hook is not a negative thing. It really is, um, it gives you a hook for it. So we made a short film called I'm on Fire. It was about a guy on fire. That's the hook, right? Now, there's a story that happens there, and I'm not telling you about that story, but I say to you, it's a film about a guy on fire. Would you like to see a short film about a guy on fire? Hopefully people will say, yes, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. Then what happens is what's going to, I've hooked you into wanting you to make you want to see it, but what, why you would like it and tell other people about it is because there's a story that you like in it. Well, with Peg, what was, what's the hook? Um, the hook is that you think that it's going to be, um, uh, that he's a pig and the trans, the switch is that, oh no, there's an actual pig at the end. I see. Okay, right, right. So the it, the hook is like sort of diverting the audience's attention in a sense. So you um, think actually, though, I'll tell you the hook of that is kind of like it's an urban myth or it's a joke. So you know she's uh, dramatized something that is a urban myth. I see. Okay, so typical sort of Hollywood and and disdain, and then you find out, oh no, there's an actual animal that's crossing. Okay, right. <laughs> well, but, uh, Th Thunder Road is a terrific short film, uh, and it's about a guy who's doing a eulogy for his mom. That's the the hook, I guess, would be that he's doing a eulogy for his mom. The actual, not the, the short film for people, but he actually starts singing along to the song Thunder Road. And so it's very, um, 
<laughs> heartfelt and yet tricky and weird and uh, um, it's a delightful short film. But so, you know, is the hook that it's a eulogy? Is the hook that he actually does a dance and sings along to the song Thunder Road? There's two hooks, maybe. <laughs> it also is a one-shot film, too. So is oh. that the hook that we've done a one-shot film? And, and with short films, you can do these really weird things, too. Like the hook is that it's all shot with security cameras, you know, or it's all shot with a drone, or the hook could be we shot this in IMAX format. Um, so sometimes it can be the format. It can also be like um, the hook is a vlog that is being dramatized. That's the hook for it. Sometimes it's the storyline that it is. Um, also, a format I love is mockumentary. And so the hook there is that we're kind of thinking, faking you out to thinking it's like a real documentary, but it's really a mockumentary. Um, there, there's so many terrific hooks with short films primarily because they have to be about something. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> There's a terrific documentary I love that was part of the New York Opdocs called Pickle. And so Pickle is the world's worst title, right? Pickle, is it gonna be about a pickle maker, whatever? Turns out Pickle is the name of a fish and it's about this couple that have all these uh, pets that have something wrong with them. And I can't remember what was wrong with Pickle, but maybe he couldn't swim or something like that. Um, so it's a very, very charming doc about this couple that have pets that have all these problems. So um, that's kind of the hook of what the film is, but it's so touching and, and so, um, moving and uh but yeah pickle's a terrible name for it how much conflict do you need for a short film conflict and drama is everything in storytelling right so i think you have to have it in a short film as well and by conflict i think it just means um tension right so you could, you could have one person be in the entire film but as long as there's some kind of tension in what the storytelling or the situation is you don't have to have two people you know battling or something like that when we mean conflict. I think it really just means tension or tight storytelling. Um, and that's what moves things along. So I think for feature films, boy, conflict is essential for everything. For a short film, you can define what conflict means to you, but we, uh, we want it tight. And so sometimes, you know, why a film's 20 minutes long and it's just, you feel like there's nothing going on, let's tighten it and find where the conflict is in it, right? Let's just go for the parts that are dramatic and storytelling and leave out the stuff that seems to be um, extraneous and just character, um, but it gives them character. It's like, we don't have time for character in this. We uh, go for what, what's the conflict here? What's going on here? How much do antagonists factor to short films? So for a feature film, it's like the protagonist and the antagonist. For a short, it's great if you can do a protagonist and antagonist, but there's no reason that you absolutely have to do that. It could be, that might not be the story that you're telling. Uh, it could, I've seen a lot of great short films that have one person as the story. So, you know, where's your antagonist in there? The antagonist could be something like time, you know, or it doesn't have to be a person per se that is um, battling the protagonist. The protagonist has something that they're working through or whatever. So it's not like features that we need to have, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist and they have their low point and their high point and then the antagonist learns at the end and the protagonist learns and da 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 da. No, for a short film, you really don't need to do that. But I think it's more interesting if there is something that your hero is dealing with. Do main characters in short films have goals? So in a feature film, yeah, you definitely want to have a goal. You know, that's always like what's their uh, want and their need and what are they trying to do? For short films, I do think quite often to follow along, you kind of assume that you're going to, this person and who doesn't even need to be a person, right? It could be a dog or something like that is your lead character, but your lead character is trying to do something or something is happening to that person. Uh, and then we'll feel satisfied at the end when it is complete. 
but it isn't like the the um, you know the myth tell Joseph Campbell's myths or something like that. With the short film, you know, your short film could be two minutes long. It's pretty hard to do seven stages of the hero's journey or whatever in two minutes long, and, and that should be a feature. You know, like if you're trying to do that. Maybe move it on to the feature part of it. For this one, let's just do the training sequence or something like that. We, uh, so, uh, you know, I think every character, it's great to have some sort of goal. Um, and, and it might not be as a complex of a goal or as deep as a goal. It could be totally just as little, uh, as much as like trying to figure out what's going on here or whatever. How much backstory should you write into the film? I think as much as you, as the writer of a film, um, you should put all your effort into as many ways as you can, right? And so, and actors want to know about all this backstory, so nobody's going to stop you from doing all of that. Um, but you don't necessarily need to put it into what we actually see on screen. It could be all this information that helps that character be um, unique when we see them on screen. So, you know, you don't, you could do backstory like he loves bowling. So when I'm going to dress him, I'm going to have him dress in the bowling shirt, but I don't need to see him in the bowling alley because this is about a story about, you know, when he murdered his mother or whatever. Um, so, you know, you want to, uh, it's great to have all that backstory stuff in it, but unlike a feature, we don't have to see a lot of it actually uh, manifesting on the screen. It could just be to make them, you know, and that's what makes the character special and unique, right? It's not just another killer. It's a killer who loves bowling. So that sets yours up from different one of like, if, uh, hey, do you want to see this film about a killer who is just wearing a suit and looks like a Quentin Tarantino ripoff? Or do you want to see one who's a bowling guy and is wearing a bowling shirt? It's like, I'd rather watch the bowling shirt guy. That seems different. I haven't seen that before. And maybe the bowling ball will come in and play later on, or maybe it won't. Maybe it'll just be a shirt he's wearing. Right, right. And maybe he has like this bowling bag and you think it's his shoes and he's keeping them meticulous, but it's really whatever it is he's hiding. And so, yeah. We've just made a short film. Let's sure. Let's make it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> but little tells. So you're saying we don't necessarily go into a long backstory, of course, because we don't have time, but there'll be little things that'll signify. They can make it more rich, you know, and that's what we want too. We want things that are special and unique and have depth to it. And that's why I do think when you go back to see older short films, the ones that stand out have all those layers and have all this unique elements to it and are interesting um, and are not just generic, you know, we're crossing off these points to make this happen in seven minutes. <laughs> Look, we did it. <laughs> okay, good. Congratulations. You did. And that's hard. I don't mean to dismiss that. It is hard to make a good story that works in seven minutes, but you know, we're not necessarily going to stand up and give you a round of applause just because you did it. 10,000 people submitted short films to the Sundance Film Festival last year. 10,000 people did it. It's not so much anymore like you get a ribbon because you did it. Um, a lot of people are making short films. So you want to make something that's so special and unique and it's worth your time and worth your effort and worth your money and worth everybody else's effort of putting all this time into it. So put as much as you can. Also, you know, sometimes you're not ready to shoot yet. So now why not wait while you're waiting for to get enough money to shoot or to get the right people to shoot? Spend that time doing backstories and developing things more and, you know, figuring out to make the set more unique and, you know. Put it all in there. Put everything you want to do into there, but just don't waste time on it. It's storytelling time. Sure. And you had mentioned uh, music videos previously. Do you think that storytelling currently with music videos has gotten better or worse? Well, for a long time, music videos were almost stories all the time, right? That they would either build something into it and then have the music video be just a little part of it and continue on. Um, but like Beyonce, she does music stories that, uh, and they've shown her stuff in film festivals. Um, and quite often there's a beginning, middle and end in the story that she's doing. And quite often um, her music videos are heavily influenced by other films that exist. So she's taken and, and um, you know, uh, 
she and her director, she doesn't direct them all, um, you know, synthesize all these elements that are her influence and have put out visual albums and visual storytelling. Um, and uh, I used to program uh, short films by women uh, at the American Cinematheque, and we would always like to include a music video because that's another way that directors direct through music videos. And there were, it was very often very easy to find a music video that actually had narrative storytelling in it. Sometimes they weren't like lip syncing along to the music. The music was kind of in the background. Um, but, you know, there are very expensive music videos that are made that are literally short films and, and more power to them. It makes them interesting and not, you know, your standard performance. Somebody's just standing on a stage and we've captured it. Once you finish the short screenplay, what are the first steps in making the movie? So here's the thing. I'm actually a believer of don't do the screenplay first. I think you need to think about what you want to tell and then can you tell it? Because if you're actually making this thing and financing it yourself, it's not like a feature where you're writing the whole script and then you're going around to people and trying to get funding. For a short film, more realistically, it's either going to be like you're shooting it in class because you have to or you're funding it yourself to get it made. So I, I don't think it's worthwhile writing a script that you can't actually get made. For example, a filmmaker uh, that I produced his first short film, his second short film, he had this great idea that had a um, big water effect happening. It's like, Who's, who can afford that? Who knows anyone who can do the water effect? And just the film has never been made because just couldn't do it that way. So you can write it, but you know, if, if you're not thinking like I'm actually making this, then you could write something that you just never afford to do. You could do it as an exercise. But so I think it's more important to think about, okay, what do you actually want to make and how can you make it? What do you have access to that could work well for a short film? And that's why a lot of short films and low budget features like shot in homes, because everyone's like, well, I have my own home. I can shoot in my own home. Um, and that's true. You totally can. But you also have like your car and you also have, uh, you know, uh, you could go shoot in your office building or you could go shoot at the park or you could go shoot, you know, your friend has a pool. Why not? said something in the pool. So I think it's important to kind of think first about, uh, I call it organic filmmaking. What do you actually have access to? Um, when I teach low budget filmmaking, I can't tell you often people have hospitals in their script. It's like, how are you going to get a hospital? You know, hospitals don't be like, sure, just show up and we'll let you shoot here. So if you wrote an entire short film that was set in a hospital, only do that if you have access to either you can pay for a hospital set or you have access to a hospital in some way. I think it's more important to think about, well, what do I actually have access? What story do I want to tell? What do I actually have access to? And can I write something for that? So then it's less money because you already have access to all of that and it's more unique. You know, it's like, think about it that way. How many short films do we see that are based in pools? Not that many. But if you have an access to a pool, you can come up with something really unique that is set in that pool that would make a really interesting short film. So think about that first before you write it. But like, you know, you should, if you're a horror filmmaker, don't do the, I, we'll do a sunny story about somebody in a pool and a diving contest or something like that. No, you should do a horror story set in a pool. But won't that be unique? Because how many horror stories are set in a pool? So Think about what you actually have access to. If you're, you have to say to yourself, I'm actually going to make this thing. So I'm actually going to make it. I'm going to probably have to fund it myself. How, what, how can I do it as cheap as possible and still have it look great? And the answer is use things that you can actually get for free. So your uncle owns a dry cleaner. Fabulous. How many dry cleaner shorts do we know? Very few. Let's figure out something that you can tell the story that means something to you in a dry cleaners thing. And it'll be true. Horror film or dry cleaners. I would love to see that. I think it would be really special and unique. So don't just write it to write it. Write it in the sense of, I'm going to make this. So can I actually make it? 
And if you can't make it, then you have to kind of put it aside in the drawer until you're at the point that you know the right people that can um, do all these special effects that you hope to do. I also think that's also why you want to think about what your background is too. Like, you know, if you are, for example, a, uh, a stuntman and you want to move into being a director, stunt person, and you want to move into being a director, well, you have a lot of access in the stunt world and people are going to expect you to do something kind of stunty. So use all of that and that's the kind of short film that you should make and write. Now that comes the story part and that's not so easy, but at least you have that arena of like, I'm a stunt person, people are gonna expect stunt people thing. I wanna direct things that are stunt heavy. I know four different stunt people I know would be great in this. I know this location that they'll let me use for free. Okay, now what kind of story can I create in this? And sometimes you're not the right writer for it. Maybe you're like, I'm a stuntman, I'm not a writer. Ah, but I've met, you know, or maybe you'd have to take a class. Take a class with writing so you can meet writers or you know, find somebody who will write it for you. You don't have to absolutely do everything yourself. You can do everything yourself and sometimes it's cheaper if you do everything yourself, but um, you know, work to your strengths and figure out what you can do, but go in the theory of I'm gonna make it because there's no point in having like a whole drawer of short film scripts. Nobody's gonna, there are a few contests for short film scripts. Um, so if you wanna do that, I say again, more power to you and those maybe you're writing more for people to read them and to give you awards and know that they're not necessarily gonna give the award to the horror story set in the laundromat uh, or the dry cleaner, but um, don't write it just to write it. Write it because you're gonna actually make it. Sure, so it sounds like sit down, decide, what do I have access to? What's actually in my wheelhouse? What can I do? And then once you know, okay, I have this dry cleaner, for, you know, it's my uncle's dry cleaner uh, st store, whatever. I know that he'll let me on the day that they, you know, exactly. shut down. They close on Sunday, right. Mondays, like right, right. Mondays, three Mo Mondays if I need to. Right, right. They they know that's their slow day, so they and and then you know we have this like let's say a serial killer that leaves a letter in a, a jacket or something, and and there you go, and then and so then the the young dry clean worker tries to figure out who it belongs to. Anyway. But, but no. Another film we're going to yeah, go make. There we go. See, that's the great thing. There's so many ideas out uh -huh. there. Right, right. And then you just have to say, is this what I really want to put my time and effort into making? Sure. And then that's when you start the script. That's I guess what I believe. Okay. That's when you should start right. the script. Great. And then when you write the script, it doesn't mean like, it's come out of my computer. I'm ready to shoot. Then you really have to look at, is this a strong beginning? Is this a strong ending? Is every scene start and end at the right time? You really want to be very critical on the script stage because you're going to actually make this. It's not just to be read by people and say, you're a very talented writer. We're not going to hire you, but we see that there's talent here and we're going to, you know, uh, get you an agent or something like that. It's, nobody wants to read a short script, you know. It is literally a document to be made. So, you know, be tight and do all your criticism of what works and what doesn't work before you go shoot it. Because there's nothing worse than, you know, coming away with a long, <laughs> you thought it was going to be, I always tell people like, if your script is 12 pages long, it's not going to be a 12 minute short. It's going to be a 15 minute short. You know, that rule of one page, one minute doesn't, it's not concrete of always going to turn out that way. So if you, and quite often short films are more leisurely paced than they should be. So if you write an eight page script, that's more likely going to end up being a 10 to 12 page film. It just expands beyond what was actually on the page. Oh, that's great. I didn't actually think about that. So, so then uh, less credits. is more. Yeah, less is more. Right. Plus you're going to have credits at the end, et cetera, et cetera. So don't, you know, I'm going to make a 12 minute film. It's a 12 page script. Here we go. No, no, no. Okay. So also, you don't want to spend all that money for it. Like, why shoot the twelve scenes? You know, him, par him driving up to the dry cleaner, putting money in the meter. It was like that was a day that we spent outside doing all that, and it turns out we don't need any of that. The story starts inside when the person walks in the door.
Right. So if let's say it's the it's the replacement and he's coming in to somebody's day off and just have him already in the dry cleaner. Exactly. Don't don't show him uh, begrudging and <laughs> having to drink coffee and psych himself up to go there. Just exactly. have him there. He sees an old jacket. He feels around. Oh, there's a letter in there. Okay. Great. Now we've got a story. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. What if you don't have a budget? What if you can't pay anyone? So Here's the thing, you know, for a short film, I always say nobody's making any money off of this. It's totally a labor of love. And everyone who's going to work on it wants you to succeed, wants the film to succeed, wants it to be as great as it is. And people love to help out. So I often say for a short film, don't pay anybody. You know, if you're only asking for one day or two days on the weekend, people want to help you out. They're not expecting cash. However, in a proper production, you should be paying people at least minimum wage. Uh, you are employing these people. I always say people always get hurt on a short film. <laughs> it's really crew-wise, you, know, um, you know. And if you're doing SAG, you have to have insurance for the actors too. There's a lot of, and if you're trying to do this to learn how to do filmmaking in a proper way, then you should do it the proper way. Pay everybody, do the eight hour day, or 10 hour day, 12 hour day, do overtime, et cetera, et cetera. Do all the paperwork the way you would do paperwork for productions and you're learning how to do it. But I also am a big fan of the, you know, you and your four friends are gonna go do this on the sly. Um, and you know, you're not paying anybody anything, uh, but you should feed them well. That's always the rules. Like, you know, so you can't do it for like no money, but you know, get your mom to cater it or something like that. Um, and if it's your friends that are working with you, they're not, they want to help you. They want to do a good job. And if you're students and everyone's kind of under the student umbrella that way too. So, you know, but you have to be true to what your film is. If you have no money, then don't write the hospital story <laughs> that you don't have access to a hospital unless you can rent a hospital set. That's truly when you have to set it. If you have truly no money, be creative. Think of other ways that you can do it. Think of what you um, can shoot. Um, and you know, often for short film too, like you can steal a lot of shots too. These are not going to be commercially exhibited more often than not. So you know, steal things, uh, not like literally steal things in your pocket, but do shots that you don't have permission to do shots with that can give a lot of production value and make it unique and special. And you know, for short film too, there's no uh, saying that you can't shoot it for you know one hour here, one hour there, two hours here. Uh, there's no rule that it has to be shot in a traditional filmmaking way of we're, we're bringing all these people together for a limited period of time. So um, you know, again, shoot on your iPhone. That you already own it. You already um, you can edit on your iPhone. You can do everything in that way too. So shoot. I'd rather you do something great with what you can afford to do, then try to do something great with not enough money and it falls flat. Because you always think, well, I can redo it when I have money. It's like, no, it's been made. That's what it is. You're never gonna go back and be like, oh, now I have thousands of dollars and I can redo it. But I will also say for a lot of my students, they think like, oh, I only have $2,000, I'm gonna make a short film. And it's like, yes, you, you totally can. Again, I know people who've made short films for $500, for $100, you can totally do it for no money, but money does start creeping in and you know I'd rather you have four thousand dollars to do a really great short film than two thousand dollars to do a half-assed short film. What are the top five mistakes you see people make with short films? 
Well, there's a lot of things that are kind of cliche-y. Like uh, one of the uh, cliches that people always talk about is the short film or any film really that starts with the alarm clock going off and somebody hits their hand on it and that's how you start the, the film and the day of the character. And it makes sense. It's the official start, but it's a very cliche-y kind of thing that we've seen. Uh, that, so there's like actual scenes that are kind of cliche-y that were like, oh no, not doing that. It used to be like vomiting too, that there was, everybody had vomiting in their films and it was a little too cliche-ish. And you can do it cheap too, so it isn't like, you know, we can't afford to do vomiting just as good as the feature films. Um, but it is kind of cliche and people don't want to see it anymore. Uh, the biggest mistakes that specifically for shorts are too long. The short is too long. Well, I'll always say that, the short is too long. Um, quite often music. People will put in a short film music that they don't own um, because they, you know, you can get away with anything with a short film, um, but it, legitimately you should not have music in it that you don't own the rights to. So, uh, you know, it feels so much better when you put in this Beatles song, you know, all of a sudden the production value seems to go up and it's just exactly what you wanted. And it's a short, you're telling me in, with my short, I should do exactly what I want. So why can't I put the Beatles song in? Um, but if you try to put that up on YouTube, that <laughs> YouTube will immediately, their little, uh, you know, uh, algorithms or whatever know that you have that song in it and you don't have permission for it. And then film festivals, you're supposed to sign something saying I have the rights for everything in my short that I am sending in. So, you know, in theory, again, they'll know you didn't, you didn't pay for a Beatles song that was shot in your apartment for five cents. Uh, how did that come to be? Um, and then, you know, if, if, in some miracle, uh, you know, somebody wants to do something with your film that involves money later on, like they want to show on an airplane, there's very few opportunities for short films to make money. But if you were lucky enough that it does, there's a film called Thunder Road. It's a famous example of it that he uses the song Thunder Road in it. They play the Bruce Springs Thunder Road. He is singing along to it. There's no way you're going to cut around Thunder Road and there's no way you can later substitute in another song when there's interest in it. So he uh, did it as a, um, you know, like kind of like a calling card for his talent, the short film, he sent it into Sundance just for the hell of it and got into Sundance where he didn't have the rights to it. Um, and then he won Sundance for the short film and he didn't have the rights to it. And so people wanted to do all the stuff with it and he didn't have the rights to the song Thunder Road. So he, and everyone always says, don't do this. Um, he wrote an open letter to Bruce Springsteen, you know, and so they made a private deal to allow him to, so Thunder Road is on uh, Vimeo, no charge. So he's not making money off of it and we can all see it. And, but he did still have to pay Springsteen some money for it. So don't put money you don't own in and don't have people sing, especially to songs you don't have rights to. Um, and then, you know, if you do SAG, Screen Actors Guild Actors, there are rules about how that has to be done. So a lot of people make that mistake of they, um, they don't think about that they're going to have SAG actors and then they realize they want it and then they're too late in doing their paperwork for SAG or they don't realize what it means to have SAG actors because there's a lot of rules about that. So that's a mistake people often make with their short film and not understanding what it means to have SAG actors. Um, and then uh, a lot of times people um, have bad acting in their short films. They don't have access to great actors um, and they think it'll be fine and then the acting is just terrible. The two things that ruin both short films and low budget features, but actually all features, bad acting and bad sound. So don't have bad acting. Uh, and then um, don't have bad sound. <laughs> Pay to have really good sound and put a little money in post-production for sound too. It'll make the world a difference. So was that five? I'm not sure if I hit five, but close enough. Well, and then we can always add in the bonus one, which we've talked about throughout the walking. I make yeah. light of it, but it's actually, it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Have the person already there, you know? Exactly. Start as late as possible <laughs> right. and have them actually there. What do you think about monologues in short films? 
Well, I think it can totally be great as a short film, as a monologue. Is there, um, uh, is there a reason that you are doing that? And does that monologue have a beginning, middle, and end? And what are you showing? Are we just having somebody talk? Or is there some other visuals happening beyond the monologue? Um, there is a short film that showed at Sundance. I, uh, for IndieWire, I used to pick like the best short films at Sundance. Um, so it was always a delight to get to see all the films that were playing and then pick which ones uh, were interesting and different. So there was one called, I think it's called Dear Mr. Shakespeare that was a monologue, but he had all this other activity going on beyond the monologue. It's something close to Dear Mr. Shakespeare. And that's a fabulous example of a monologue kind of film. Thunder Road, I don't wanna keep on harping about Thunder Road, but Thunder Road is a eulogy. So I think that's like basically a monologue. Um, and that's a super interesting film as well. So there you go. I already gave you two examples of a monologue that worked really well. I'm just sorry to go back. Uh, if someone's singing, even if there's no music and it's just the actor singing and the actors sag and everything's taken care of with the paperwork, but they don't own the rights to that song and it's not right. under fair use or something. So happy birthday used to be the thing that tripped everybody up, but now it's not. Now happy birthday is back to being public domain. So oh, you go ahead and use happy birthday as much <laughs> as you want. But you used to see in older films because people didn't want to pay for happy birthday, that their birthday song they would sing when people would pull something in was not ha our traditional happy birthday, but some made up song that nobody in their right mind sings, but it is, you know, they made it up and it's a brand new song. So there you go. Um, so so yeah, you don't want people actively singing a song that already exists, even though it's not the actual recording. You have to get the sync license for that song. So Wow. And now I would assume that's much cheaper than the actual rights to the music. Well, um, well I can go not. into a whole uh, thing about music, but basically if you license a song, you have to get the sync rights and the master license rights. And traditionally what they do is they uh, make them the same. So if you whatever you pay the sync, you would pay the master. So... You know, for example, if you, and also you can get festival licenses for films that way too, so that you're only paying for rights to use that song on the festival circuit. And again, you're not making money off of it. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's a smaller amount. But um, if somebody later wants to use the film commercially, put it on a DVD, not that anyone does that anymore, but put it on TV or put it on airplanes, then you have to have the rights completely tied up. So music rights is a whole headache for both short films and low budget feature. And what I always try to say is there's so many composers out there who would be thrilled to write their own song for you. And then you can um, do the legal paperwork properly and make agreements and it should be done for, you know, hopefully you can pay that composer a little bit of money too, but um, it should be much more inexpensive. And it's a great opportunity for everybody. The composer gets to write a song or compose the music for your short film, gets a credit you get something that's unique to your film, everybody wins. What do you think 99% of filmmakers get wrong with their short films? Well, it's not fair to say 99% of filmmakers get wrong because there's no wrong or right in short films. And who am I to say what's right or wrong? That's the great thing. Nobody gets to decide what is good for films. So there, there is nothing, but I will say length is always the problem. I hate to always harp about length, but I think what people get wrong is they do too long of films or the film that they have made a five minute film that is somehow eight minutes, but really should be cut down to being five minutes. And who is the one that sort of decides that? Like, I'm sure so many filmmakers think, well, no, I need this one scene in here, though. Yes, I've uh, helped critique films, the work in progress, where I will try to talk forever to convince them that that scene is not necessary. And the filmmaker insists it is. And it's 
you're making that film. You get to do whatever you want to do. So I can try to push you this way or that way, but it's your film. You should stick by with what you think it is. And maybe that scene means everything to you. And it really is the whole reason you made the film. And that's why you want it in. And I can talk myself blue in the face, trying to convince you it isn't necessary. We've already done that point. If we take it out, no one's going to miss it. Um, but ultimately, you know, that's where you as the filmmaker get to be the final arbitrator with a short film. Nobody else is paying for it or making it a commercial, you know, man. Quite often, if you're doing it in a school situation, sometimes you have to do what the professor wants you to do, but then you can recut it on your own and make it what you want it to be and use that one as the film you show people. It's your piece, you're making it, it expresses you, you should do whatever you want to do. What makes people stop watching a short film, let's say one minute in? So with with anything, short film or feature, the viewer gets to decide what they want. You know, we only have so much time in our lives. So if you start watching it and a minute in, you have no interest in it and you think it's terrible, nobody's going to put a gun to your head and say you must keep on watching it. If you're in a festival situation and you paid a ticket to go see a program of short films, you are kind of stuck in the theater and you have to, you know, watch the whole entire piece as they go on. But, um, you know, the viewer gets to decide whether they want to keep on watching it or not. The unfair part is, and this is someone who has been a screener for festivals or um, has been a screener for various contests, because shorts sometimes have a major change at the end that switches everything out and makes you think differently of everything that happened at the beginning. Sometimes it, it's weird or uh, incomprehensible or something's happening at the beginning that you don't understand yet because you haven't put the time in to hear the rest of the short and see how it switches at the end. So truthfully, because we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt, people should watch the short film to the entirety because it really could have a twist ending that makes it all um, what you saw previously uh, now make complete sense. And also what we said earlier about how, you know, sort of the cliches of the alarm clock or, or it, vomiting, yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> give a pass on the vomiting, I don't know. but. <laughs> You know, but we can always make exceptions. Like, how many great short films do start with the stupid alarm clock, you know? So what we're going to say, they did the alarm clock shot. We're turning this off. We're not going to watch this. You, you have to forgive it. And there's also only so many ways you can tell film stories, too, you know? So um, I, I say this is a unique voice that has put something out there that's special and unique. It hasn't had a million people put their thumbs on it and, and uh, give, you know, criticism or debate. And it has certain things to be commercial. So who's to say what this is going to be? Or, or what it is so I would never I would not recommend judging a short film like one minute in um, again maybe it's horrible and cheap and the sound is terrible but there's a reason for that then we're going to pull back and realize this is a film within a film or something like that can you make a short film for no money you can totally make a short film with no money in this new world of you have an iPhone in your pocket but also and I don't think the camera is the most important thing whatsoever but you have a phone in your pocket you can use. Also, I guarantee you, you know somebody who has a more expensive camera that they are not using that weekend and will lend it to you. Bartering is the best thing in the world. If you have editing skills, you know somebody who wants to make a film, say that I will gladly edit your film for free if you come and shoot my film when I'm ready to make my short film. If you, uh, you know, bring your camera, I will then do your edit. So barter your skills with other people. That's one of the things we have to offer that we don't need to be paid. We really can, um, our time has value and we can offer that. Our skills have value. Um, but if you make a film for no money, you have to realize the kind of film you can make in no, with no money. You're not going to be able to make something that is a knockoff of a big studio film. You know, however, if your day job is doing special effects for a big studio film and you have access to all that equipment 
and you can use it for free on the weekend or whatever, maybe you can make something that's crazy impressive um, because you have access to this equipment that other people who had to pay, have to pay you know, hundreds per hour to get somebody to do it wouldn't be able to do. So then have sort of a like-minded network of people where you can switch off and do different tasks for each other. And, and be open to working on other people's films too. I can't tell you how many filmmakers want to make a short film and have never worked on anyone else's film, especially among students. And it's like, go on somebody else's set, help them out and then learn what they're doing wrong. Shorts are a learning experience for everybody. See, and then you say, oh, I'm never going to do that. Or, you know, you go on and work on a set and you realize, ah, this is a big waste of time or they had too many people. I, I, I never forget, I met a filmmaker who uh, made his film at school. He had 50 cast member, 50 crew members on his film. And we were like, 50? What is that? It's ridiculous. It's like, we were at school, everyone was willing to help. It's like, well, I would never use 50 people on my film. Um, but, you know, in his case, it made sense for him and it worked for him and he was happy with it. So who's to say, people have unique situations that they have advantages and disadvantages of. So you should use the things that you have advantages of if you want to make something with no money. And if someone's not in film school, where can they sort of find other filmmakers to just volunteer to get their feet wet. That's why I think if you work on other people's films, then you meet people that way, right? So even if you PA on a film, you're looking and clocking around saying, who's great at this? Who can I you know, be friendly with and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be making a short film soon. Would you be willing to come and do that? Also, there is, you know, Craigslist or Mandy.com. There's places to also, uh, you know, like UCLA Extension has a website where their students can list that they're available to work on films. There's film organizations in Los Angeles. And again, I keep on speaking about Los Angeles because I'm from Los Angeles, but I'm sure in whatever city you're in, there's a film society or film organization. The other big tip that I love is like, if you have a film festival in your city, volunteer to work at that film festival because you're meeting other people who love film and want to be involved in film. So not only might you meet people who come into the film festival, but you'll meet other volunteers who I guarantee you would be happy to work on your film because they too have the same sensibility you have. They want to be making these films. They love films. So that's like the number one tip that I love is like work at a, volunteer at a film festival in your local hometown or a film society and meet people who have similar interests and get them to work on your film. How often do you hear of a short film costing, let's say, $70 million? <laughs> well, um, animation, Pixar makes these short films. I don't think they're $70 million, but they're done properly through Pixar, you know, where nobody's working for free on those. Um, so I don't know what the budgets are for those Pixar shorts, but they're not done for five cents. Those are uh, expensive short films. Also, when you see the films that are nominated for Academy Award for Best Live Action, it's very rarely U.S. filmmakers. It's usually um, filmmakers from other countries because their countries actually support their filmmakers and give them money so they can make high-quality films that feel like big old feature films that just happen to be 12 minutes long. Also, the Academy loves a short film that's long. But, you know, like a 25-minute long film that feels super expensive and like a feature film is totally, and is big and important and dramatic. That's totally Academy catnip. And it's usually made by a country, a filmmaker in a country where that country gives them money to make the film. So it might not be millions, but it's well-funded. And so it's very hard for a little, uh, you know, U.S.-based filmmaker where the government won't give you any money, where there's no grants, there's no, basically, you know, you're either kickstarting to raise some money or you have wealthy relatives who are willing to give you money um, or you're paying for it yourself. And, you know, there's always that rule for feature films, like never put your own money into it. But I'm like, in shorts, you're putting your own time and your own money. And even if it's not your own money, your own time. If you calculated how much time you're putting into this that you could be spending earning money for that hours, it's like, like that's thousands upon thousands of dollars that you've contributed. 
And in some ways, it might be best to put your own money, whether you're paying from your waiting tables job or whatever it is, because you're going to learn lessons faster. And you can control it. You know, I, I, the phrase I always use is, you are the studio. When you're making a short film, you are like a studio in the sense you get to decide what you want to green light and invest in, and you have to take it all the way from commissioning the script to releasing it out into the world. So, you know, some studios can get away with, like, they don't have any money and they're going to do it totally cheap. But, um, you know, like, there's a lot of famous actors that make short films or, uh, like, screenwriters. Those people have money, and so you can't expect people to work for free for it, and people aren't expecting the films that they make to be shot on an iPhone, you know, super cheapo kind of thing. When you see a famous actor who's directed a short film, those are properly funded. And again, they got money to burn. I'm sure they put their own money into it, um, and they don't do it for, you know, two cents on the iPhone. And they shouldn't. You know, that's not what people are expecting from them. And, you know, if somebody famous were to ask me to work on their film for free, I'd be like, no. <laughs> I mean, I love. I would obviously love to work with you. You're super famous, and it would help my career to be working with you. But you also have a ton of money. I'm meeting you in your Malibu mansion, and you're asking me and my little Toyota to come and work for you for free. No, that's actually a film idea. There you go. <laughs> We're you making film ideas all the time. <laughs> yeah, you're pulling up to the gates. The car stalls. <laughs> Movie starts. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> Great. Should a filmmaker expect to make money from their short film? So the thing about short films is there's really no money in short films. What you're investing in is you're launching yourself as a filmmaker and that film will hopefully get you other, will launch you as a filmmaker and hopefully get you other work. So you need to think of it as an investment in yourself and that's where the calling card kind of aspect happens. That like, I've created this to show you this is what my talent is. And therefore hopefully you will hire me and pay me money to move on to do the next thing. So even though they didn't give you cash, like here's $20 million for your short film, um, they actually gave you $20 million to write a feature or something of that sort. Um, you, uh, so you can make money that way. It's, it's by launching yourself. But actual shorts themselves sometimes do make money. There are still a few places that will pay for um, license a short film. The problem is, so it used to be called um, interstitial uh, programming where movie channels like used to have a feature that run short and they need to put something else on before the hour starts up again. And that's the short films I made for Fox were for a cable channel that used them that way. You had 20 minutes you had to pad and so let's put some short films in there and that way we padded the time. HBO used to pay money for short films to use it in that way. But now people, all they do is they do, uh, they'd rather make a little featurette about a TV show to convince you to watch that TV show and fill up the time that way. So domestically, there there isn't a market so much for it anymore, but PBS still occasionally pays for short films, yay PBS. And when I say pay for, they're licensing it. They're licensing your short film to air in a certain way in a certain market for a certain time. Um, they're not buying it outright. There are some markets foreign that also still pay for films, sometimes to be used on TV interstitially, sometimes to be used in other ways. Airlines, sometimes short films. You know, it used to be too like, oh, my short film's gonna be on iTunes or Amazon and people are gonna pay me for that. Um, and there, some are, uh, sorry, the Academy Award shorts, by the way, are their own category. But those actually get put in movie theaters and people pay money to see the Academy Award nominated short films, which makes me so happy. 
sorry, which makes me so happy. And that's for features and they put the, sh the animated shorts out that way. They put the feature, the, the live action shorts out that way and the, and the documentary and people pay money to see them in theater. It's like, it proves people are interested. They want to see these films that the Academy has said are worthy and of value. Um, and those films do make money for the filmmakers. Uh, so th there are cases like weird ways that sometimes films do make money and make their money back. Um, but, oh, that's a unicorn. You know, most times you just got to go in the understanding of, sorry, the other way you can earn money is at festivals. Sometimes there's money prizes at festivals. So I know of many filmmakers who have made one more as festival prizes than they actually put into making their films. So they made a profit that way from their festival prizes. So, um, you know, another reason to do festivals is there is a category for short films and you can be a prize winner that way. Um, so sometimes there, there are ways to make money. Uh, the funny thing too is like later on, if you become famous, uh, you know, we're very interested in famous people's short films. So they might be interested in your film that way once you become famous, or maybe you really luck out and somebody starring in your film and becomes famous later on. And then there's interested in, so, but what would stop you from making money from your short film is if you didn't do everything right. If you didn't get all the cast signed release forms giving you the rights to their performances. If you didn't do deal memos so that some, they're afraid that some crew member will come back and sue you when all of a sudden you're making money. If you have music in it or not even music, but artwork or clips of other films that you don't have the rights to, that at the time you're like, ah, what the hell? It, ser it serves my artistic vision and it makes it great. Um, but somebody's saying, hey, I can give you money, but you have to have all these things cleared. You have to buy errors and in admission insurance, which stops people from suing you. It doesn't stop people from suing you. It protects people when they're being sued. And you have, that costs money too. So there's a lot of, sometimes, and then there's SAG payments that change when you actually sell your film. So there's Sometimes uh, there's other reasons why you can't sell your film, even if somebody were to offer you for the money for the film. But sometimes it's also laughable. It's like, hey, somebody in Poland wants to license your film for $13. It's like, is it worth everybody's headache to do all that paperwork to get your film licensed for $13? And and is it also too, let's say, like brands? Like if you, yeah. if you, you have know, like in a... In the same way, for, again, if you were trying to learn how to do it right for the feature film, you should do all that right for the short film so that you don't have issues. But, you know, it's like if somebody in your short film is drinking Coca-Cola, but they're not like a murderer or something like that, they're just accidentally drinking Coca-Cola, nobody's going to stop your film being distributed, being like, you didn't clear the rights for Coca-Cola. It's not that big of a deal. It would be more if, you know, the killer clown kills everybody with the Coca-Cola can, then there could be an issue that Coca-Cola would not approve of that use of their can in that way. What if it's uh, you have a scene where there's like a couple at the table and there's a replica of a Renoir in the background? Right. Is that someone still needs to clear the rights for that? Yeah, oh, wow. they do, okay. definitely. Um, and that's always kind of surprising. Another thing I'd heard about recently that I never even thought about was tattoos. That the tattoo artist has created original artwork. So if it's the real tattoo and you're using it in a very obvious way in the film, it isn't just like they're walking and they happen to have tattoos down their arms, but there's a big part of the film that focuses on this tattoo. You have to get that cleared from the tattoo artist who created that as original artwork. Wow, yeah. is that that's new and sort of a new well, new to me? It was okay. explained to me, and I was like, well, I never even thought about tattoos. Wow. So, okay, but that is original artwork too. Well, you can get temporary ones. Exactly. Yeah. But whoever designed that temporary that's one, you true. need to get them to sign to say that they gave you permission to use their artwork for. Wow, I know, okay. crazy, isn't it? Wow, that's but fascinating to know that. Again, yeah. everybody you know is creating something uh, artistically. So you know what I always say: so documentary, there's a lot more lean way because they're capturing real life. But for narrative filmmakers, 
The argument is you are creating a fictional world in which you've touched everything in that and have decided everything's in there for a reason. So if you've chosen to have this Renoir in the background, then there's a reason that you've done that and that you should appropriately pay everybody. If not, take the Renoir out, get a cleared artwork or just go in the back and scribble it yourself right. and put something else in there because you've chosen all of that. Sure, sure, yeah, just a couple of brush strokes and just pretend it's some kind of modern right. art piece. there you go, it's done. Uh, <laughs> and you know, often greeking is what they call it when you put like tape over something so it looks different or changes it out something or, uh, you know, we often say, because um, you often have crew members be your uh, cast and be your extras or whatever, you just really want to watch their clothes because often crew members are wearing like a Panavision t-shirt. I'm like, oh, could you turn your t-shirt inside out? Could you take, oh, um, Major League Baseball or any kind of major league, uh, major uh, sports thing, they all want money. So you don't want somebody with a Yankees cap or you don't want somebody with an NFL branded Dodgers, whatever, you know, all that is protected and you can't do. And uh, again, I'm based in Los Angeles, so I will of course say Dodgers or whatever, but the Hollywood sign is also something that's protected. Um, and so you have to pay for the use to use the Hollywood sign and you can't just be like, well, who's in the background? It's like, we'll pick a different shot so it's not in the background. But they want money, they know about it, and they also actively screen to look for it if you've used it and they will come after you. Once a filmmaker has finished their short film, what should they do? So when you finish your short film, you have to decide, how do I want to, what do I want to do with this? Sometimes I honestly think you're not going to show it to anybody. It's, you know, it was a learning experience. There's a lot that's not good about it and don't show it to people. But often you've made it because you want to show it to people. There's a reason you put all that time and effort into it. Now you have to decide, well, what do you want to do with it? And there are basically two routes. One is the festival route, because that is the uh, screening for short films and, and a, making them professional professional things that people will see through the festival circuit and launches you as a filmmaker and gives you an entree into the professional filmmaking world. So festivals is one world. And if you want to do that, you know, you, you, it costs money. <laughs> so you need to decide how much money you want to put into that and how much money you can do and, you know, set up a marketing budget, frankly, to do it that way. So festivals is definitely legitimate. Like a lot of short films are made for the festival circuit. A lot of films are just going to be put on YouTube. You know, we made them digitally. I want to share them with the world. And it's funny because a lot of times people think, oh, I don't want to have my film on YouTube. And then later they're like, 10,000 people have seen my short film. There's no way unless you, that you could get 10,000 people to see it on the festival circuit. You know, so if your point is that you wanted to communicate with people and have people see your film, how amazing is YouTube? It doesn't charge you or, or Vimeo. There's other places. There's actually a lot of places you can put your film online, but you know, how amazing is that, that you can get your film seen by people that way? And there's places like Short of the Week where they want to, you know, put your film out and you put in an arena where people are actively looking for short films and seeing it that way. So there's a lot that you can do with your short film online. The negative thing about putting your film online is that if you want to later do festivals, festivals still don't like it if your film's been online because they're like, why should our patrons pay money to see your film when they could actually just see it for free online? Same thing if by some miracle, uh, your film could potentially be Academy Award uh, qualification. They do not want it to be broadcast first before you're qualified. So people put their film online and then they can't be considered for the Academy Awards. Very few films actually you know, get nominated for an Academy Award or considered for the Academy Award. So I wouldn't kill yourself about that. And, but if you think your film is an Academy Award kind of film, especially animation or doc, think about that and be smart about it uh, if that's the venue you want to go. Um, 
And then, you know, sometimes the films can be put on TV. Uh, and that's a fabulous thing, too, um, if, if that's an option or, you know, maybe they've been made for commissioned by TV or whatever. Um, and But everything has to be done right when you're going to put it on TV, obviously. All the rights and et cetera, et cetera, have to be done perfectly. So you need to think about where you see this film going and what to do with it. I'm sorry, you can also, um, and this is something I love to do, is have your own screening of the film. Very easy to do it in your home or even rent a theater. It's surprisingly easy to rent a theater or speak to your like local film society and see if they're willing to put the short in front of a feature film that they're showing. You're a local, they know you, hopefully you're a member of the film society, they wanna encourage you. Quite often those kind of screenings also don't count as festival screenings so that you can do that and still do the festival circuit and not have it count as like your debut or anything like that. So, you know, figure out where you wanna show this and then try to get it done. And, and um, you know, think outside the box, as they say. It doesn't have to be a festival. It doesn't have to be online. Think about film festivals. Think about other places that might potentially want to, you know, show your film in some way. Um, but don't think that that isn't a big part of the process. If you've made this film to be seen, it's going to take a lot of time. I know filmmakers who've been very successful in the short film circuit and had to spend like two years following their film on the festival circuit, submitting it making sure it got seen, occasionally getting to go to the festival, et cetera. And then that becomes a full-time job, whereas they made that film because they want to get hired to do something else. So sometimes you don't see films after a little bit because the filmmaker got what they wanted out of it. They don't want to keep on sending it on the festival circuit. It's like, I've already got an agent out of this. I've already got a job doing something else. I don't need to spend more time on the festival circuit. So when films are like big rock star kind of films that way, they win awards and everyone's interested in them. The filmmaker is often like, I'm not interested so much in doing that anymore because I got what I want out of it. And so uh, then festivals will start uh, offering incentives too to make, to make it worth your while. So if you luck out and get something that's really, um, you know, that special, special film, you can charge screening fees. You can, uh, you know, they'll ask you to apply for the festival and they'll waive the fees for submissions. There's a lot of things can happen if you, get one, if you luck out and have one of those films that everybody wants to show. And I know those fees vary, but what, what's the typical short film entry fee? So here's the nice thing about short films. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes it's free for students. Sometimes there's a student fee. Sometimes there's a uh, just normal fee. There's also, always very important, uh, early fee, a late fee, and uh, I guess standard fee, whatever. Um, so you really want to look at that because that can be a world of difference. Like if you wait for the late fee, and we all tend to be procrastinators and kind of be like, I'll wait until the very last minute. Okay, now I'm sending it in. Um, that could be the difference, like $100 for the late fee, whereas if you sent the early bird fee, it was $25 or $35. So, um, you know, I would recommend don't be that procrastinator and send it late only for financial reasons. Also, you can really look on a film freeway and see, well, where doesn't, where's a free to submit my film? Um, and, you know, places that you have re relationships with, like your local film society, shouldn't charge you. You know, they should be willing to look at it for free. And so there's a lot of ways you can do it for free without submitting any money. But film festival submissions is expensive, you know. And it is a joke that, like, my God, I probably spent more money on my festival submissions than I spent on my actual film. Sure. And, you know, and ask yourself, really, what, what do you want out of it? Because sometimes it's just gratifying to go there, be part of the Q&A, and, and show it with friends, and then you feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, and who knows what will happen as a result of that screening, too, you know? Something else could happen that you weren't even thinking of, and then that's great, and that's what you wanted out of it. Do you often hear from filmmakers that their goal is to make a viral video? Viral is something that people used to talk about a lot, you know, like, oh, it's going to become a viral hit. And, um, you know, even today, if you're able to, something happens like that, more power to you. But often it's, there's no um, magic formula for that. 
And it's also no longer like if you build it, they will come that you can just put it up and all of a sudden, oh, it becomes a viral video. Some people can kind of plan on it a little bit like, oh, uh, I know a filmmaker who did this kind of uh, raunchy father's son story that he launched um, on Father's Day and did this whole kind of press release about how it was going to launch on Father's Day. And so people who are writing stories about, you know, what to do, watch to watch on Father's Day or whatever could reference that. So he really thought it all out and had a hook to make it of interest and did something in that way. But in general, um, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, viral thing is kind of a miracle, you know, that there's some reason that people start sharing it, you know, like it gets on Reddit and a lot of people start, you know, so some ways you control it and some ways you can't control it. Um, in the old days, there used to be like Star Wars fan films that had this built-in fan base of people loved these Star Wars things and there wasn't so much Star Wars um, material being made. So people, those kind of videos could go viral, but now there's so much Star Wars stuff officially done that I doubt you're going to get a viral Star Wars video happening. You know, it's like there's enough talk about the official stuff going on. Um, so I think it's impossible to kind of like pre-program something going viral. You never know how it could happen. And if it happens, more power to you and, you know, ride that storm as much as you can and be prepared. The one thing you can do is be prepared for what happens next because, you know, it's like, so now something got viral and people are talking to you and they want to, when people start talking about to you because like your film did well at the festival or did well online or whatever, they don't really care about that actual short itself. They're not going to do anything with it. You know, they're not looking at it to, you know, put in their movies or something like that. They're looking at uh, like, you have talent, you put, you've got their thumb on the, you know, the pulse of excitement now. I want you to do that for me. What can you do for me? So you need to be prepared with, I have a feature film that I want to get made, you know? I have uh, this uh, pilot for a TV show I'd like to shoot, or would you look at my pilot for my TV show? I want to get that made. You have something else that they can be involved with that, you know, now that you have heat, you can capitalize on that heat. And But it's not your short that's going to, they're interested. They're interested in the talent that's shown in the short and the attention that you have, but they want to know what's next. And that's where a lot of filmmakers make a huge mistake is they don't have a what's next. Their film does really well in the festival circuit. People say, oh my God, this could be a feature. And you'd be like, talk to me in a year when I actually write the feature. It's like, you want to be, I, and I'm writing the feature. Or, oh, I'm on the finishing touches of the feature. You want to be ready to go with that thing that they can capitalize on. And, you know, the heat can turn into something that can earn you money um, and move the, uh, the next step on your career. Do you think some people, though, they think this this won't happen? They, that this is, I'm just putting this out there and, and, and I'm not going to get this attention. And that's why they don't properly plan? Yeah, or, or, you know, it's such a big boulder to push up the hill, right? You've had to finance, write this thing, finance this thing, get it up and put it in somewhere and then deal with all the tsunami of all the success. You haven't had time to write the feature film. This whole thing took you forever and you did it all yourself. You know, so it wasn't like uh, you had a hundred things in your drawer that you're ready to do next. It takes a lot of work. I know a lot of people who, you know, that was it. They did that short film and then had all that hoo-ha and then now what? And then you're cold again and you either have to make another film or... Uh, I also know people who just love making shorts. And so they're going to follow that up with, you know, I'll have another short next year. And like every year they have another short film and they send it out and same thing. Everybody loves it. And somehow they can afford to do that. And uh, they're professional, quite often it's animators. Um, they're professional short filmmakers who get to do whatever they want, you know, and turn it into that. Myth or truth, you can't make money by selling your short film. 
some people do make money. So I don't want to say, and also it's not selling, it's licensing. I always keep on having to remind everybody that you're making money by licensing your short film. Some people do. And, and it's rare, um, but when you hear about it and people make a ton of money off of it, we're like, more power to you, good job. So yeah, it's rare, but it is possible. Myth or truth, you can make a short film with no money. I say it's true. You can totally make a short film with no money. Now, when we say no money, do we really mean no money or do we mean like no money, but actually a couple hundred dollars? <laughs> um, but if you literally say, I'm not going to spend any money whatsoever, then I think it's the iPhone filmmaking that you're using your iPhone. You're doing everything yourself. Uh, you're not using professional actors that you're paying. You're doing it with your friends. And then the post-production, you either have really good friends that will help you out or there isn't much post-production on it. And hopefully you're giving them a good lunch or something afterwards so there is money involved right well that's the thing it's like well even if you say i'm not paying anyone but i'm buying their lunch then you know five people's lunch even if you're you know being extremely cheap and doing it for ten dollars which in inflation today you can't do but let's say even 20 there's 100 bucks right there for Great. one meal for right. five people including actors and director myth or truth executives and producers do not watch short films <laughs> what? No, that's, that is a myth. They do watch short films. They might not watch the film to the entire ending, but they, they do want Hollywood. Uh, the quote I loved that an executive or an agent said that I put in my book um, was that uh, Hollywood is in love with talent, new talent. So they, this is where people become, show their wares is in short films. Uh, so no, they love short films because there's new talent there and new voices and you actually can see it. So, you know, a lot of people uh, have problems getting their script seen. You know, we have no connections. Nobody's willing to see my short, my script. They won't, it won't take on solicited material, but they will watch a short film because the short film already exists. So you can't say that, you know, well, we actually had another project that was in development that was similar to it. it. It is there, it exists, and people are more willing to look at it because, you know, it's not as hazy as a, a script that could be changed or we have something else in development with it. So short films can open a lot of doors for you because people are willing to see short films where they're not necessarily willing to look at a script. Myth or truth, a short film won't help you get a feature made. So much not true. People short, there are many examples of feature films that got made that were developed off the short film or that the filmmaker was hired because they made a short film. So, and, and it doesn't happen all the time, but every year there's examples of filmmakers who just made a short and then got to make a feature. So, no, short films are a fabulous launching pad to make feature films and television. Myth or truth, short films are a waste of time. <laughs> No, number one, short films waste very little time because they're short. <laughs> um, they're not. They're never a waste of time. Uh, as a filmmaker, you learn something every time you do it. As a viewer, you have a chance to maybe see something you've never seen before. So I love short films. I'm the biggest proponent of short films. I never think they're a waste of time. Myth or truth, a short film will never get you a Hollywood job. Not, that's another one that's not true. So many examples of people who've gotten, uh, used the short film to get the job. Just recently, there was an example of Bel Air that he had made a, it was kind of like a trailer short film or whatever, and then they got to make a uh, television series off of it. Um, so there are feature films all the time that were developed off of a short film, so. Myth or truth, every short film gets a million views. <laughs> oh, I wish that were true. <laughs> no, there are very few short films that get a million views. Uh, 
and those tend to get more than a million, obviously. If you're in that category, it becomes something that a lot of people want to see, and you'd be surprised how many you can have seen. But um, sadly, so many people put their films up, and they're, you know, just everyone you know watches it, and that's it. Why is the myth of a million viewers unlikely? It's no longer the era of if you put it up, they will come, that someone's just going to stumble upon your film and see it that way. There has to be a reason that they've searched it out and want to see it. So, um, you know, even with a lot of promotion, they're, they're, it's the same problem that everybody has. TV shows have it. Big old expensive Hollywood features have it. People only have so much time. And so when they have so much time, what are they going to actually watch? Uh, I was just so some. I, I think it was one of your pieces where he was complaining that people would rather play a Fortnite than watch a film. So, you know, it's like you're competing with all these different, uh, I myself see it. I will spend all this time going on Instagram, you know, and it's like that's time I could have watched three short films, but instead I'm flipping through people's stories on Instagram. Um, there's just so many other things that take people's attention. And also, I mean, here I am, I'm the biggest proponent of short films, but I've, I know a lot of people have seen short films that they just thought were terrible or were dull or were long. As soon as people don't have great experiences watching short films, it's really hard to convince them that they want to see a short film. Um, so, you know, very limited attention span um, where you think like, it's only two minutes, can't you please watch it? Just to get somebody to watch those two minutes is very hard. <laughs> You know, I kind of have a short change, short TV, actually. Um, short TV shows films, short films on TV. They have their own channel. Uh, they do license films and try to license films beyond it, too. There are definite ways that people who've invested in short films and want people to see short films and put them out there. And the Academy Awards short films that go out on the festivals, on the theater, theatrical circuit where you can see it in your own hometown in the arts theater. Um, so there are lots of ways that short films do get seen and great short films get seen. I think quite often it is that curated thing of somebody saying, wouldn't you like to see the short film that won Sundance? Versus, hey, my brother shot something on his iPhone. Which one would you like to see? Now, sometimes that thing on the iPhone is fabulous, and the short film that won at Sundance is painful. But um, you know, in general, the, the, there is that curation thing of uh, I think a lot of people would rather see the Academy Award nominated short, the Sundance Award winning short, or some viral thing that people have said this is amazing. You totally have to watch it, and then you watch it. Myth or truth: ninety nine percent of short films are awful. <laughs> so. Um, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of great short films, but you know, Sundance releases the numbers of films that are submitted to the festival each year. And so last year, in a pandemic year, over 10,000 shorts were programmed. How many did they show? Of course, it's limited by how many they can actually show, but they showed like 59 short films. So, you know, if all 10,000 of those were amazing, wouldn't that be just like, oh my God, how can we not show all 10,000 of them? But no, obviously, the, what's that number? That's close to 99 of them, only, um, you know, 59 of them are gonna be, uh, and again, there, I'm sure there were a lot, like 150 of those other ones that were, should have been programmed, but they just couldn't have been. Sure. But I'm sure of those 10,000, 5,000 of them were just, you know, direct. Myth or truth, these days fan films are better than Hollywood movies? Well, uh, you know, the Hollywood movies, a lot of people like to go see Hollywood movies, so we're not going to discount that whatsoever. And when we say fan films, we're saying that films that are kind of like take some existing property um, and use that in some way to make something of their own. Um, and there is a, a passion, you know, why people would be interested in it is because they're interested in that topic. Um, so like, for example, there used to be a lot of Star Wars fan films that people would make. But um, 
now people's tastes are so all over the place. It's hard to know what a fan film people might be interested in. But actually, I'll go back to the Bel Air example again, that that was a fan film, that he liked the original Fresh Prince and he thought of a unique way of doing it and made his own version of the Fresh Prince um, that was a different take of it and made a little short film. And then people were interested in that. And as a result of that, they made it into a TV series. If it had not been with that hook, a hook of this is my reimagination of the French Prince of Bel-Air, people wouldn't have been as interested in it. When you say that he did a variation or a different spin on it, what, what was he that? He took it and made it dark as if, you know, you know, because the original concept for Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was he got in trouble back in Philadelphia and had to come out to Bel-Air. So this he made him really get into trouble and it turned it in very gritty and uh, made it not a happy-go-lucky sitcom, but a, a dark, you know, current day take on the idea of somebody who got in trouble uh, and had to come out to uh, California. What is a low-budget movie? Low-budget movie, it's so hard to define what a low-budget movie is because sometimes you see something that was made and it's like $10 million. And that is way low-budget for Hollywood, but is that low-budget like you and I could afford to make a $10 million film, a feature film? I don't think so, but it is considered low-budget. So CODA, that won the Academy Award this year, is a low-budget film that was made for $10 million. But that was obviously a financed film. It wasn't out of her own pocket that she made that film. Um, there are people who can make films out of their own pocket. Many years ago, but it's still a prime example, is Robert Rodrigo's um, El Mariachi that he made for $7,000, that he earned the money by selling his body to science. Very famous story. You know, he's written an entire book about it, but he made an entire feature film shot on film uh, for $7,000. I, I know a lot of people have made feature films for like $11,000, $15,000, but that's not shooting for a long time. That's shooting for a very limited time in very limited locations. Um, and it's not going to compete with a Hollywood film whatsoever. It's going to feel very much, um, you know, like there isn't a lot of money there. <laughs> and hopefully there's some kind of story that just has to be told and the filmmaker couldn't wait around to try to get real funding for it. So they just made it themselves. You know, they like, by hook or break crook, this is getting made with whatever money I can raise, hopefully maybe by, you know, Kickstarter or something like that. Uh, but whatever money I can make for this, we're going to make this film. And that's what I consider like a, it's not low budget at that point, it's no budget. That's always the term you use. It's like no budget film. Um, but there are levels, there's, you know, and SAG has different agreements for how much money, you know, there's a ultra low budget, low budget, no micro budget, et cetera. There are um, official terms for like what m money categories are. But I think um, most filmmakers, if they're doing it themselves, are kind of doing it on the no budget school. How is a $1 million movie a low budget film? <laughs> well, you know, one million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but it isn't. One million dollars is, you know, can, goes away in a second. And that, that, remember that one million is not just cause covering production; it's post production as well. Um, so, you know, and if you're using paying for locations and paying for people, and you have to pay for people when you're making a feature film, even if you're shooting it as quick as you know, um, eleven days or eighteen days, paying for people, paying for locations, paying for food eats up a lot of money. So, um, you know, I don't have a million dollars, so I'm not making a million dollar film. Um, I know a lot of filmmakers that took a long time to be able to raise that kind of money. Um, but when they were able to raise that money, they made films that did get attention, you know, usually on the festival circuit trying to, but it's tricky on the festival circuit now too. It's very hard to get the festival circuit to program a film that it has to be really exceptional, that has no stars in it, that was made for no money. Uh, you know, we live in the world, unfortunately, now where there's too much content. 
So, um, you know, you have to have a reason why people should watch your million dollar film. And hopefully the reason is you're a very unique storyteller. But I tell people this all the time. We're kind of waiting for the next Quentin Tarantino to arrive. There hasn't been anybody for a long time that just radically blew everybody away for a film that they made with nobody, no money and no stars, but they had such a unique voice. So, you know, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that really unique person that comes through and has something super interesting to say and is telling it in a very unique way and blows us all away with what they want to do. And quite often what it is is people who are just doing Hollywood movies or Hollywood TV shows cheap. And that's what they want to, you know, they funded it themselves and they can totally do it, but it's not special or unique or worth our while watching. Well, you know, I, I know you're an Elvis fan and you've written a book about Elvis. So if we took the same analogy uh, for, for we're waiting for the next Elvis. Right. Be, I mean, there's so many quote unquote Elvises now. I think it's harder to yeah. sift through. Completely we're so. We're kind and of that's, spoiled. That's, it takes a lot of money to launch somebody to make them. You know, so Billie Eilish, who my niece adores, it's like that took a, she was self produced and all this kind of stuff, but it took a lot of money to launch her. So the fact that she's doing arena tours and things of that sort, it's not a cheap, cheap thing to, um, to become internationally known. <laughs> so it's, it's just too much content now. What are three keys to making a low budget film? Uh, well, it's what you can achieve in with that money. Um, I, I, I just like with short filmmaking, I don't think you should be so ambitious that you have to do like a really low rent version of what you can do. I think you should make something spectacular with the money that you have. So you want to look carefully at what you can do with that money. Also, it's a big commitment. I often, and I'm coming from someone who loves shorts, I would recommend you do a killer short versus a weak feature, low budget feature. People are, <laughs> it's hard enough to convince them to watch your fabulous eight minute short, to convince them to watch your uh, 90 minute feature is asking a lot. It has to be really special and unique. Uh, and when those show up, people are super excited about, but I, I ask you, you tell me how many, one, well, you've seen them on TV, but you know, how many $1 million films have you paid money to go see in the theater? Um, well, I don't know if they were $1 million. They might have been a little more. But I, I do appreciate, you know, art house cinema. I know I'm not supposed to say that word. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, do. I say it sometimes too. <laughs> I, but, you know, I, you're right. I, I'm actually more geared toward a low-budget film than I am some big Hollywood tentpole. The, the amazing, because I teach low-budget filmmaking, um, the amazing thing last year, the films that got nominated for the Academy Award because it was the pandemic year, and because they didn't, Hollywood didn't want to put their expensive films out in the theater, they were amazingly low-budget, the films that were all nominated. I mean, Nomadland, things that were kind of films, they weren't $1 million films, but Minari, I think, was very close to a $1 million. So there were a lot, it was a nice category last year that there were a lot of films that were made for very little money. Um, Drive My Car this year, I think, was made, not an American film, but you know, made for very little money. Too. So there, there is amazing sometimes when these $1 million films can go as high as being Academy uh, nominated and you're like, well, look what they did with a million dollars. Truly impressive. What are some strategies that anyone can use to break down a screenplay and analyze a budget? Locations is a big part because, you know, if you're going to be moving a lot of locations, that takes a lot of time. So quite often you'll see for low-budget films, they're set in a few locations and they don't move that much. Plus, you have to actually secure those locations. So that's why you see a lot of low-budget films that are shot in somebody's home. 
<laughs> because you can shoot in your own home, you know, you don't have to move around, you can shoot in different parts of your home and get a lot of production that way. You see a lot of them shot in cars, same thing, it's very easy to be driving and filming and it looks nice and there's motion and things like that. Um, so you gotta think about how many locations there are, how many actors there are, um, how long it's gonna take you to actually shoot it. Those are the kind of three big things that kind of delve and how expensive it's gonna be. And how many films can you think of that were successful in one location? I mean, you can think of tape. Oh, yeah. that, that was excellent, you know. But. You'd be surprised how many things are kind of set in the house that you didn't even think about it, that it was set in the house. There's a great film called The Invitation, um, Karen Kusama's film, that uh, was like, you know, it's kind of a horror or thriller kind of film, and they're all brought to be at the house. Um, and that's kind of a traditional, um, you know, everyone gets murdered in the house kind of film type of thing. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of films you haven't seen that are truly just talking people in a house. <laughs> what tips do you have for maximizing on-screen value? So, you know, everything, the money should really be spent so it looks great on screen. Uh, one of the things that I always tell my students uh, when I teach low budget filmmaking is white walls are a big bugaboo that they look, um, they look cheap. White walls totally look cheap uh, and it makes everything look terrible. So as much as like I can shoot for free in my kitchen, well if all those cabinets are white and it just, it'll look incredibly cheap. Where it's so easy to hang a backdrop or put some, you know, make some artwork or whatever and have that in the backdrop. The camera loves detail. The camera loves a lot of things uh, to look very uh, full. So uh, there are tricks, you know, to make things look more expensive than they are. Um, and also think about what you have access to that is more expensive than you would, that somebody else would have to pay for. So, you know, if you want, like if the character has to have an expensive car, but you don't actually have an expensive car, who do you know who has an expensive car who would lend it to you for the day? You'd be surprised how many people you know who have things that contribute to the production value. And when you say artwork, you say make artwork. Right. That is the key right there. Because not uh, using... anything that's copyrighted, you have to be very careful about what, what you're doing. And, and, and some of the things are like, oh, well, let's shoot a scene in the bus. Well, if you don't have the rights to shoot in the bus and later on, especially for a feature film, feature film, your dream is a feature film is going to get distributed in some way. So everything has to be cleared in the feature film. And you can't do as many risky things as you can with the short because short, nobody cares. Nobody's going to make money. You can do whatever you want to do more or less. But for a feature, the, the dream is to have this re released into the public. So you are in control of everything in a narrative film. You need to make sure that everything is cleared and everything is done properly and you have releases and all that kind of stuff. There's no excuse to be like, oh, well, we were friends, so I didn't have him sign anything. And then later on, the whole chain of title falls apart because you didn't have all, you didn't have your script copyright, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Um, and then your film becomes problematic. How would you budget a $50,000 movie? Can you give us a breakdown? So don't think of it all as the production part because post-production counts so much. So I would definitely think about what kind of access do you have for stuff in post-production and then what kind of post-production are you gonna to need to spend money on? Because what people often do is they just blow it all on production. It used to be called getting it into the can when it was actual film reels that would be put into the can. Then you have to worry about developing it and all that kind of stuff. We still use that term in the can of like, okay, you finished shooting, but now what do you do? And they often just stole all the money <laughs> at post-production because you desperately needed it for production. You just start spending it because you needed to. And now all of a sudden it's like, and now there's post and there's no money in it. So I would definitely recommend of that money, post-production is so important and adds so much. And you can get so many things for free in production that you can't get in post. So I would definitely, you know, I would say even if you want to cut that money in half and put half for production and half for post, 
knowing again, you're probably going to steal some of that money from post <laughs> when you get in trouble in production because it's just sitting there and you always think I can earn more money later on. Um, but so I, I would truthfully split it in half and be like, okay, half of that's going to be for production, uh, post-production. And if you're going to send this off just with a, sh like with a short, if you're going to send it off on the festival circuit, you should have some marketing money set aside too. So make, make that combination post slash marketing money and spend only 25 on production. And then you have to think of like, okay, well, how many days are we going to shoot? Because even we just ballpark it, if you say like, even if I spent no money in pre-production and just in production, well, if I'm shooting, you know, 25 days, well, now I only have $1,000 a day. And what it's, that starts dividing up into this and that and that. It's like, well, that's no money. So mostly short, mostly low production films shoot less days because then you can have more money per day. But for a $50,000 film, depending on what your situation is, I would think you're shooting maybe 12 days as opposed to 18 days. And in, let's suppose you say, well, judging the film probably won't get into any major festivals. It's a short, so I just want to go to local ones with my friends. So how much would you say, theoretically, to put aside for festival budget? Well, so actually, for short films, we often really recommend doing local production, local festivals, because that's you know where you know people, and you can have your film seen by people who know you, and you can go to the festival because you're there. Um, but you still want to try to submit it to other places. So there's application fees and then there's travel fees when you do it. So I often kind of say to filmmakers, well, let's say, you know, let's say you're going to try just as a bad average, but like 30 festivals you might apply to and average out $30 per application for a short film. Feature films are more expensive for festivals. Um, and, you know, some are going to cost more, some are going to cost less, some might. Uh, but it gives you kind of like a ballpark of how much you might spend. And then you want to budget at least a thousand or two to go somewhere at some point if you wanted to. Um, but if you're local, then that's even better. Uh, and, you know, hopefully you won't spend that much money at all. Is there any way to get a big name actor for a $50,000 budget? So here's the thing about big name actors for both a short and for a feature. Everybody always wants to work. And, you know, especially if you're a SAG shoot, so they can work if they're a SAG actor. They, um, in theory, your project, you were so special and your project is so special and they can get on the ground floor of getting to do something that's unique. So I used to work for a casting director many years ago and he'd say about certain actors like they're great cop number two. Well, cop number two, you recognize that face because they've been a great cop number two forever, but they want to be not necessarily cop number one, but they want to be the romantic lead or whatever. And so here's an opportunity for them to be the, not cop number one. Cup number two, they get to be the, the romantic lead. And so they will want to do your short or your feature if you can have access to them. The problem is they are also, though, used to being on this TV show where they've had the trailer and the hours are such and the food is such. Uh, I always make the joke of like, they're not so good about changing clothes in the Burger King restroom. <laughs> Whereas, you know, your friend from film school is totally up for that. <laughs> but the, these people have, uh, are used to a certain level of uh, professionalism that they might not be at the same level that you are. So that's something to think about, you know, is this something, it's always should be, everyone should be making the same film. And the person who is, you know, used to TV money is not the same person who's happy to change in the Burger King restroom. Um, so that's one thing to consider. Also, do you have access to these people, you know? Um, but, you know, maybe you're in an acting class with somebody who is an actor of note and you do have access to them and they know you and you know they like to do all these different things. Why wouldn't you want to have this actor who's really talented versus somebody who, you know, you've never heard of and have no idea how good of an actor they are? Um, and there's, talk, talk about hook or interest, a festival is more likely wanting to, Let's just say Nicole Kidman was your aunt. 
<laughs> so Vessel is more likely to play a short film with your aunt Nicole Kidman in it. Um, you're pretty much in as long as the film doesn't suck. And if you can guarantee Nicole will come, you're in. Um, so there's a big advantage of that. But then I always say then it becomes the Nicole Kidman short. And it's all about Nicole Kidman being there and everyone wants to talk to Nicole Kidman. And if you've made this because it wants it should be the you show, all of a sudden it's not the you show. So that's something to think about too. You know, is your film any good or is it all just because she's in it and that's all people want to know about? But Hollywood would love to see that Nicole Kidman short. Festivals would love to play it. You could put it online and people would be interested in seeing it. You're trading on that name. Sure. And sometimes they don't want to see the you show until they know kind of who you've worked with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. More inclined to be like, uh, she can work with Nicole Kidman. Uh, I think she can direct, you know, our little uh, cop show or something like that. Right. Where are filmmakers most likely to overspend? Shorts are a learning experience for everybody. So you don't know what to spend on and what not to spend on. Um, so sometimes you don't have the right access, you know, or somebody says they really, the cameraman insists that they really need you to rent this one of our short films, the cameraman was a commercial director and he wanted this jib arm. Um, and we were like, we're not paying for a jib arm. And he's like, I'll call in favors. So we didn't pay for it, but he called in favors. But then we had to wait for the jib arm to arrive. And the jib arm had somebody that carried the jib and put it all together and operated it. So there was another person on the set. And all of a sudden, this jib arm that we didn't want, but he wanted, you know, cost us time, you know, versus money. So that's things to think about of all these decisions. Now, it made the film look fabulous. And when you see it, I think it was probably worth the time and money, and I didn't pay for it. So, um, you know, in that sense, it was really worthwhile. Uh, we did a lot of short films with, uh, with animals, and we paid for the professional animals. Um, we didn't know at the time that it worked that you had to pay from the moment they left their ranch to the time they go back to their ranch. So all of a sudden, it was extremely expensive to have these professional animals. And then one of the little things that we did, my famous quote from that was we had a short film that had a horse and a frog. And I'm like, why is the frog more expensive than the horse? And the answer was, it's harder to train a frog than a horse. Totally legitimate. I completely understand now. Yes, that is the right answer. Now I understand. And yeah, we probably might have had a friend who knew someone who had a horse that could bring in the horse or whatever, but we probably didn't have a friend that had a frog that could do what we needed to do on camera, on time for a two-day short. So yes, it was worthwhile spending money on that uh, frog. So, you know, you could write a short film about starring a frog. You think, how hard could it be for me to go, I have frogs in my backyard, you know? And then you realize, oh my God, it is really hard to make a film starring a frog and... Uh, um, so even with the professional dog, it took longer than we thought it was going to take. That's really interesting. I did not know that. Hey, you could have used Kermit. You could have. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we had to do think something different. Okay. So now we can't afford a professional frog. So how cute would it be? Not Kermit, because that's copyrighted. But uh, let's make our own. Per per somebody you know is probably a puppet person or a craft person who could put together a unique frog for you. And that might be a different kind of film, but I think that would be a more interesting for a film to have this puppet frog in it. And then also because this is unique property, maybe you've now created a character that people are super interested in with this frog. And all of a sudden you get meetings with people who are wanting to do puppet shows and you have a puppet in yours. And so now all of a sudden you're getting hired to work for Sesame Street because you couldn't afford the, the professional animal frog. So it worked out well and it made it different and unique and yay, 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 yay. What's the best way for filmmakers to keep their budgets down? Save money. 
So Robert Rodriguez was one of the famous low-budget filmmakers that he made the film for $7,000 uh, because he sold his uh, body to science to make that kind of money. And he has a terrific uh, making of piece called The 10-Minute Film School that I actually show when I teach because it's so inspiring. It's on YouTube. You can easily watch it. But he says the secret to not pay money, is to, to, to not let money go out of hand, is just to refuse to spend money. And he has an example from El Mariachi that they had two different guitar cases, one of which didn't have um, the, the fabric on the top. And he's, the quote he always says is, I was too cheap to spend a dollar for a spray can to paint the back of it. So they had to do all this complicated shooting to get around it. But that was, he saved that money for the spray paint. So I'm the style producer, like, it's only a dollar, go buy the damn paint, let's spray it and move on. But his, you know, every, every penny counted for him. He sold his body for science for every dollar for that. So just his tip was just refuse to spend money. You find a creative way to shoot around your problems and don't spend money. And if you're like me, you're like, oh, I'll spend a dollar out of my pocket. All of a sudden it's like, oh, we don't have money, money for lunch. Okay, here, let me spend more money for lunch. And all of a sudden your credit card bill, you leave the film with, why is my credit card bill $12,000? It's because you kept on spending stuff that you had to buy. So then you should keep an itemized list so that you really see it in black and white, what you're spending? Well, you should make a budget and then, you know, you can be harsh and say, I'm not going to spend more than this. I'm a big fan of contingency, though. <laughs> Put some money for contingency because things happen. And, you know, you can say we're not going to spend money, but then something happens and where's the money for that? So we can't control filmmaking. That's what's kind of a miracle about it. Animators, animators can't. Animators just sit there and draw and they control absolutely everything about it. And the time is what takes time. Or you know, I'm saying old fashioned drawing. I mean, they're doing it on the computer, right? They, they, it's all just computer stuff. And then, but there's still sound for animation. You still got to deal with sound. You still have to deal with music, et cetera, et cetera. Um, everything always costs money. And you can spend a lot of time getting people to let you do it for free. And a lot of part of being a filmmaker is to communicate and to talk to people and to convince them that you're doing this fabulous project and shouldn't they help you and shouldn't they be along and it's going to be a great experience and nobody's getting paid and oh my God, the whole film will come together if you could just give me this free can of paint. Or do you know anybody who has a free can of, can of paint that they could lend us? You know, you just have to ask and put the time into it, but that's where it takes a lot of time, uh, you know. So you can list out, this is what we're going to need, this is how much we're going to pay per head, et cetera, et cetera, but then something always goes wrong. <laughs> sure. And we can also get caught up in the spirit of it, I think, you, you know, feeling good and feeling like, wow, this is going to be amazing. Let me just go over this. Let right. me, instead of going to this fast food chain, let me try this place on Ventura Boulevard that has this great pizza and I want to really treat everybody. You know, I mean, that's not a bad way to spend the money. But, but also on the producer wise, it's like, oh my God, it's going to take you 20 minutes to go get that and pull it back and do that. And it's like, oh, this is a bad decision. You know, a better decision would be to spend a little bit more money to bring it here and do this and do that. And let's just, and you're only making this thing one. The other thing I always tell people too is when the film plays, they don't put a big sign in front of it that says, this film was only made for $50,000. Nobody knows how much that film was made for. The thing that counts is what's on the screen. Um, so also another one of my favorite quotes from, uh, that I have in my book that a filmmaker said was like, nobody ever walks away going, um, uh, the acting was terrible in that film, but the props were excellent. <laughs> we spend so much time worrying about the props. It's like the acting is really everything. We should have really good acting. It's so easy to want it to be the house that looks perfect and spend time getting the lighting exactly right and, and put that prop right here, whatever. But people are watching, they forgive a lot. They're, they want a story well told uh, via storytelling and via acting and the supporting elements like sound, et cetera. But they have no idea how much you spent on it. 
and all they know is the final product. And the final product should be something that you feel, I mean, you've had to make a lot of artistic compromises, but it should be something that you feel proud of and you're happy to send out into the world. And people are thrilled to see and enjoy and film is forever. <laughs> so this is something you're sending out for the world forever. And that's how it exists. And so just as with, let's say a feature film, there's the sort of taboo about talking about the budget. Is there the same taboo with short films? It's so flexible though, because like, let's say I bartered all this stuff, but then if I had to pay for it, it would be a different budget. So something I can make with my students, with my experiences and people I can call on for favors is not something that you could make. If we had the exact same script, I could make it for a whole different budget than you could make it for a whole different budget. And they'd be different films, obviously, because it would be my version versus your version. But it's not fair to compare because if you're trying to do it for not paying rate, if we're paying rate for everything, then it should be exactly the same and fair and equal. But still, my talent is different than your talent. You know, and I would pick different actors than you would pick. And if money was nothing, look how many films are made for tons of money and they totally suck because people didn't care about the story or didn't have the, they weren't filmmakers and they weren't storytellers. That's what counts. So, you know, the budget schmudget, you know, it's like, again, you're making something that's permanent and it's out there and it's being shared and you're not gonna get to remake it or whatever. Um, this is something that exists and you should be happy with what you did. And you can also forgive yourself for a lot saying it's a learning experience. And, you know, I learned a lot from having made that. And a lot of people, when they look back at their early work, cringe you know they're like their short film sucked their feature film sucked but i actually went to an event for christopher nolan for his first feature film following um which got re-released and uh, he was like look i'm still talking about following all these years later he's done all these huge films i love and that yet, film. following was so fabulous yeah. and again people love that film but he's like he's still fo still following me around he still has to sp <laughs> he's still talking about metaphor, and doing yeah. things yeah uh -huh. so you know but, but last but not least, suppose you're lucky enough to get into a festival, you're up there with the Q&A, and then you get the guy, oh, right. hi, the okay, what was your budget? And you're like, okay, do I tell him the truth? So for feature films, the reason why you don't tell them the truth is because uh, there's a implied value for it later on. You know, and you want, if, if there's a bidding war for it and they know you only paid a million for it, they're not going to say, and we're giving you 25 million, you know, it's like what they're way overspending at that point for what the value of the thing actually is. So you just don't tell them, you know, it's like, how much do you want to pay for it? Why does it matter how much I paid for it? For a short film, I think it's just so many favors and all that, that what's the point of telling people how much it costs? I think people often ask because they want to kind of figure out, can, can they do it? You know, like if I had, if you made that for a thousand dollars, then maybe I could make it for a thousand dollars. Um, and if there isn't really a market for it, what does it hurt for you to say a thousand dollars? But I think more interesting is to say how, how many days you shot or something like that. Cause you can say, okay, I see what a 18 day shoot looks like, or I see what a two day shoot looks like. And I see what a five day shoot looks like. And I guarantee you, if I showed you what a film that was shot for five days and two days, you would totally see what you get difference, not just budget, but you know, everything, what the difference is. So to me, it's more like days. But so if somebody asks a question, you just, you just say, oh my God, we got so many things for free. And I, and now you spin it into your own way, like the politicians that don't want to answer. <laughs> and I want to thank everybody here. This theater's filled with people who gave me things for free. And I want to take this opportunity to thank you for your contributions. This film is not just all about me. This film is about all of us. And that's sincere too. It's not just, you know, politicians kissing ass. <laughs>